was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can holler ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars, scats. I wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian in late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish that every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, that every time we love and it feels just like this, it feels just like this, it feels I wish I had a time machine, wish I had a better rhyming speed, wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lima bean, I wish that I could spread my wings, I wish that I had seven limbs, yeah, that way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish, dímelo, dímelo, at least I kind of understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets, yeah. I wish I was an astronaut, I wish I knew more classic rock, <laughs> focused on myself, you can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help, it's like, it's like... Hello, cats and kittens, and welcome to another episode of The Debrief. I'm your host, Brianna Joy Gray, coming at you from a very pleasant day in Washington, D.C. I hope everyone else has had a pretty decent start to their week. I know Mondays aren't the best, but I hope they're a little bit better because we get to spend it with each other. It was a big it was a big week. A big weekend it seemed with a lot of interesting protest activity that got discounted out of hand in part because protesters were seen as belonging to political groups that people don't agree with or were plants as the uh, BP uh, painting protesters have been accused of being. But I'd like to engage with some of these things on the merits. Let me know how much does the background of the protesters matter as you're weighing in the cause effect and ultimately the success of these kinds of things what do you make of the latest on the aoc front a story that was screen grabbed and circulated widely by aaron mate this evening in which she uh told her followers why they shouldn't really have a lot of respect for the protesters as it were I'll start by kind of just updating you on that since that's the new piece of information here. And then we'll get to the callers and see what you guys think about all of this. So AC, uh, AOC rather, about probably a couple of hours ago on her uh, Instagram stories, responded to a question from somebody who asked, could you speak on being confronted by anti-war protesters? She says, sure. They were actually not anti-war protesters. There were right-wing Trumpers and some were LaRouche cult members, not progressives, as they claimed. Their own social media history shows this. It was a stunt that they do from time to time. Last time they showed up to a town hall yelling about eating babies or something. It's a thing they do to go viral and draw in people. This time they were parroting pro-Putin talking points. 
It is not anti-war to support Russia's imperialist project to invade and seize neighboring countries either. Ukraine, like other nations, has the right to self-determination. The only person instigating threats of nuclear weapons is Putin, no one else. As far as their comments about Tulsi Gabbard, Gabbard has voted for more defense budget increases than I ever have, zero. Look it up. Happy to dig more into Ukraine and other posts. A lot of these right-wing video and social media stunts are predicated on people not knowing the context and just believing whatever the person is saying for face value. For example, in the video, they cut out the part where they waited to yell until a deaf constituent was trying to ask a question so that it would look like everyone was mad at their words instead of the fact that they were harming a person with a disability. All right. We got into some of the truthiness or not truthiness of that in the episode, but let's hear from you up top. We've got Biden in the house. How are you doing tonight, Biden? Hey, can you hear me? Oh, you sound really far away. Why is that? Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm trying to do it from my computer for the first time, and I don't know if it's, like, working or not. Might be my camera. I don't know if there's like a hold on, microphone. Maybe there's a way I can give me one second. Okay, because I've I've got you turned all the way up on my soundboard. So there's nothing else I can uh, do. On okay, did that do anything? I don't think so. I mean, I I can hear you. You're just loud. I can turn myself down a little bit. No, no, no. Give relative me, to yeah. you, if that am I to am me. I loud loud or am I like hold on? I gotta like it's weird. You sound like you are. At the other end of a 20-foot hallway speaking at normal volume. Hello! <laughs> I'm there! Let me try one more thing real quick. Um, maybe if you... Maybe this will work. Let me see. If I can save it. Okay. Still nothing? No, you still sound the same. I mean, if you want to try again from your phone, I will bring you... Back up from the end of the queue. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe I'll try. Uh, I know Eric's got great things to say, but I got. I have a lot to say on this. Um, okay, so we, we want to be able to hear that. So log off. I'll go ahead and take the call from Eric, and then I'll bring you right back up after him. Okay, perfect. Sounds good. Okay, right. thanks, bye. All right, Eric, what's on your mind? And here I thought I can get a glass of water real quick. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> You actually sound a little bit quiet to me, too. I want to make sure this isn't, like, a me problem. Oh, no. How's that sound? Okay, so I've, t- I've turned up the soundboard, and I'm turning down me. So maybe it's just that I was coming in so loud in my own ears that everyone else sounds quiet. But I think th- I think that that's fine. Go ahead, Eric. Let us okay. know if, if you feel differently, audience. Okay, am I good? You're good. Awesome. Great, great, great. Um, I really like it when you talk to Nathan Robinson. I think he's one of the few people who... Um, is willing to go there with you when you have these like conversations and not afraid to, you know, like really get into the, to the woods and the meat of things. Mm-hmm. But I do appreciate. I and I know that some people felt as though, you know, they didn't substantively agree with him. And I obviously didn't either, but I felt like he offered up a, a good, like the most reasonable version of the other side's argument. So to the extent that we are, you know, not just wanting to sit around in a chorus of people who agree with each other and pat ourselves on the back. We've had several episodes about Ukraine now. We've heard recently in a really thorough discussion with Aaron Monte. But, like, I've seen this other part of the left, you know, with has a lot of people that I like and who I respect and who are my friends over there. 
you know, take this other kind of approach. And so I wanted to have someone on who, you know, had some kind of pushback against what the protesters did so that we could unpack the pros and cons of the arguments that are happening on Twitter. And to go into the, what the, um, the new revelations that Aaron Mati just dropped about AOC's criticism of the people there. And to answer your question, I do think it is imperative that if you're going to do something like they did and have that type of level of protest coming at particularly a figure on the level of AOC, um, I think it was a mistake. Because I was actually listening to the vanguards. They were talking about this. Um mm-hmm. And I agree with them kind of that it was a mistake bringing up Tulsi Gabbard. I think it was a mistake because then you allow yourself and you fall into a trap where, you know, in her things, in her uh, statement, in her tweet, tweet, uh, her post that she did, Mm -hmm. Instagram post that she did, she talked about how, look, Tulsi Gabbard has voted for more defense budgets or, you know, she could have brought up many different aspects of Tulsi uh, Gab is kind of wishy-washiness with, um, you know, being anti-war. Even the Vanguard uh, boys actually brought up a, quite a bit of information talking, um, really, they broke down a tweet about how Tulsi Gabbard is stumping for this Republican Trumper mm-hmm. person mm-hmm. who is more, you know, hawkish than anything AOC. Um, they were complaining about AOC doing. Mm-hmm. So I definitely, I, I don't think you can't, completely get away with it because obviously the um talking about the Putin puppet that's that's a critique I think was going to come at them regardless but mm-hmm. I definitely think if you're going to do that if you're going to have these protests it's in your interest to try to limit as much of the criticism that you can possibly get as possible so I definitely wish they did not because even for me once I heard they brought up Tulsi Gabbard I was like oh uh, why did you say that yeah I, I- I take that point of view. I don't know that I would go so far as to say you can't mention Tulsi because it seems to me that there's two ways of doing it. You could say Tulsi's great. She's fabulous. She is a true hero, uh, an anti-war advocate, and you are not. You pale by comparison, and you should do better. Now, I think because for all the reasons that you just stated, that is not a sustainable, like that is not a, that is not a good approach because the characterization of Tulsi is not accurate. I think it is fair to say, however, only because the bar is on the floor, that Tulsi Gabbard is to your left. Tulsi Gabbard has spoken out more. Let's say this. Let's, let's, let's make it specific because you're right also about the, the voting point. Let's take votes off the table and just simply make the accusation that Tulsi Gabbard has spoken out more against the escalation, the Western-backed escalation of the conflict between two nuclear powers, the proxy war in Ukraine, than you have. And it's disappointing that you would let someone who has such an inconsistent, disreputable record on anti-imperialism beat you on this issue. And I think that's completely fair. And I frankly think a fan of using... Tulsi or even various Republicans getting to the left of our progressives on this issue as a way to bully them into recognizing how bad they are on the issue. But that's different from accepting them as good faith, legitimate vanguards 
of international peace movements, let's say. What do you think of that? I I mean, I agree with that second way of phrasing it. I think is definitely more strategic and much more powerful because then it's a, it's almost like, it's like a kind of like a backhanded compliment in a way mm-hmm. where you're kind of giving them an olive, you know, you're like, you're saying like, I know that you kind of, kind of, you kind of approaching, like, I know you mean well. And, mm-hmm. but this is how it looks, you know, yeah. this is how it's seeming to people. And I definitely think that one of my one of my fears that I see that's happening is is now there is a a large disconnect between our elected more elected progressive officials and the actual more you know maybe grassroots type leftists more activist leftists more militant leftists that are out there and. I see people like AOC um, in particular um, using, if you're not using certain things and certain um, talking points like the Putin puppet and everything like that to give a certain like, you know, barrier or justification of, oh, these people are just crazy. So I was like, how, so now it comes up like, do we really have any type of control or are, do, should we just say, I'm not saying this. I don't think what I'm about to say, I don't think it's necessarily a um, completely an anti-electoral politics type of position, but should, do we have to cast away this group of progressives? Do we have to say we lost a squad? If we're going to try electoral politics again, we have to start with a new squad that is somehow more, um, beholden to us, because I think the squad is not beholden to us, particularly because if you can't get um, more uh, affluent leftist channels like TYT, like um, Majority Report, to also criticize them, they're always going to be a level of, I, and I just think they have a larger voice right now, so I think they're always going to be, they protect them also from any like real mm-hmm. criticism because as you said in your thing, talking Nathan Robinson, Mehdi Hassan just w- didn't even attempt to say, is there any there there with what mm-hmm. they're criticizing AOC? They just loony bins. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I, I, I'm really, I'm actually very worried about this. I, I like when I when I said like half joking in the episode. Well, if anybody who listens, who loves AOC and is close to her listens to this podcast, please let her know. I mean, I, I really do feel like, to be honest, rightly or wrongly, I've gone out of my way to try to be overly generous to her in interpreting everything that's gone wrong over the past two years, you know, criticizing her in the best of faith, you know, giving benefit of the doubt where possible, like really like soft pet, like just trying to make sure that before I make really affirmative statements about her motives or her credibility, that it be substantiated as it possibly can be without having an opportunity to actually interview her. Right. Because mm-hmm. I want, I want it to be the case that she feels like it's a criticism that she should be willing to listen to because it's coming from someone who doesn't have a personal vendetta against her, who doesn't just want to you know, get clicks from, 
tearing her down or some of these accusations that a lot of us on the left who are critical of the left get. Like I, I wanted, I wanted to make it hard for people to make those accusations about me. They've come nonetheless, right? But I also, I like, I, I was still holding out hope that we could build out some, build back some relationship with the left, so that there could be some accountability, so they could understand what was going on, so they could hear these kind of criticisms and adapt and change. And so this electoral project won't have gone to waste. But in moments like this, look, so if, if something comes out and it turns out that this, there was actually a deaf constituent there, I'll eat my words. But if she really is truly just doubling down on this thing, which seems to have been repudiated and, you know, the film seems to back up the longer version that I saw seems to back up that they were just reading email questions. If she's calling people's Putin's puppets, lying about their, you know, the, the real harm here being that someone was shouting over a deaf person who wasn't in the room, weaponizing someone's disability, you know, and just defaulting to the idea that these people are from a LaRouche cult and therefore what they say doesn't matter. Like, I don't know nothing about LaRouche. I don't really care about that. But mm -hmm. if someone from a LaRouche cult or any kind of cult shows up and says something true, if they show up and say, like, save the children, what are you going to say? Oh, these horrible activists who wanted to save the children for, are from some, like, political or religious sect I don't like, so fuck the children? <laughs> exactly. And one of the things that, um, to kind of contradict myself a little bit, that worries me right now is the fact that we are now at a, uh, it seems like we're in a state where if anyone, if it, if all it takes is you saying, I think the amount of weapons we have given to Ukraine and the, uh, you know, with the military spending that we have given to to give them weapons is too much. If all it takes is you saying that for you to be um, considered a Putin puppet, I don't know then how it just seems to me that any type of a movement could so is now so easily dismantled because all they have to do is just point out um, one or two things and then be like, look, if you have like, and again, this, again, I'm probably, this goes back to, I think the, um, the uh, forced to vote movement. All it mm -hmm. took was one quote unquote bad egg in Jimmy Dore and that killed it. So to me, it's like, if any, so all these movements that happen up, if all you have is one bad egg, or quote unquote one bad egg that you deem as a bad egg, or one person who says something wrong and it can just be squashed like that. What hope is there to get any type of Medicare fall or you know actual living wage? And I now now what it seems is that I'm looking at channels because I actually think out of all the leftist channels out there, I think you. And, you know, I'm biased because, you know, I really enjoy listening to your channels and the stuff and the way you break things down. Um, because I think, and it, and it, at the end of the day, I think it comes down, there's a calm, like you always said, there's a comms element to what you're saying. And I don't think any other, maybe Breaking Points kind of has this. Mm -hmm. I think um, RBN kind of has this also. There is a, but you have, I think you, because that's what you do. No one has a comms, truly comms foundation to what they are saying and what they're trying to do. Because to me, are we trying to get, like, for example, are we trying to get 
are we trying to end, you know, try like for let's take the Ukraine Russia thing. Is our goal to if the leftist goal is to, you know, have some type of peaceful ending to that as soon as possible, mm-hmm. then there's need to be communication with that. And it doesn't seem there's any communication about that. It, right. I mean, and in fact, I mean, isn't it, let me know if I'm too loud. Someone in the comments said I should be turned up a little bit, but um, someone, um, uh, you know, I, one of the, one of the things that I really appreciated about the, the episode with Nathan was that because no, no one was going to call each other a Putin puppet. There was this moment where he, he defends the idea of sending arms to support a country that has been invaded wrongly and says that that aspect of it is defensible. And therefore we shouldn't be focusing on AOC's vote for um, military spending for Ukraine. And I, we, because he's, you know, my friend, and not someone who's going to like scream you're a Putinist at me, we're able to walk through calmly and pleasantly <laughs> the, how, how that plays out in effect. So if you, if to your point, Eric, if the state department line is to not have any kind of communications or negotiations with Putin at the same time, we continue to fund Ukraine militarily. And you know that Ukraine cannot defeat Russia uh, all out if all things push comes to shove because Russia, one, is just enormous and better resourced, but also has nuclear bombs and Ukraine does not. Then where does that leave us? And is it fair, in fact, for these LaRouche protesters to have characterized AC as having voted for World War III? At very least, to have voted for a series of actions that has demonstrably, by every expert opinion, led us closer to the brink of nuclear war since we've been since the Cuban Missile Crisis. And I, I, I like I, I, I appreciate being able to work that. Like It seems like an obvious point, but the clarity with which that came out in the episode, I personally found to be really like mm-hmm. useful to me. And I think it's useful for people to hear that without it being, I don't know, like this kind of emotional... And passion, and I'm, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with emotion and, and passion. I think it's the tone that the protesters use. I'm not tone policing it. I have no quibble with it. You know, AOC says, "Oh, they they do this to get attention. They do stunts to get attention." Yes, ma'am. That's the point. <laughs> you need to oh, get attention and, to this issue that's not being paid attention to. <laughs> and when you brought up the Ralph Renated thing, when he says stunts are important, yep. and and it's like they for like if she said like. Did she not forget that what got her? First of all, a lot of people like that. To me, I, I the way I look at it, the way I follow AOC um, trajectory, it wasn't simply her winning her race that blasted her off to the level of popularity it has. What to me did it was when she did that stunt in front of Nancy's Pelosi office. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was that coordinated stunt with the Sunrise Movement that. Put her in a position where, oh my God, Nancy Pelosi now has to pay attention to this new, you know, junior congresswoman mm-hmm. who she probably annoyed the hell out of her mm-hmm. that that she did that. And I'm like, where are the stunts? I want more stunts. There is like, we need more. Um, so that's like when I had no problem with the tone that they used. I had no problem with like when you got into the um, 
protesters throwing the paint on, uh, throwing the tomato sauce on uh, the paint because at this point in time, the way I see it, everything is on a timeline. We don't have time. So if that's, and, and again, like I always go back, if you truly believe in climate change, like I was just reading that some billions of snow crabs Mm. Just disappeared out of Alaska, mm-hmm. which where did they go? Nine like ninety percent. So all you people, I'm I'm allergic to shellfish, so <laughs> I can't eat that stuff anyway. But all the people who who you know, that's the ecosystem alone who probably relies on that particular you know life form being there. Mm-hmm. We are on a ticking clock now, and yeah. I'm like, something has to be done. So I'm like, I'm looking at all these young kids, you know, in Britain, you know. The people who were standing on and I just uh, who were blocking traffic in 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 London, I was like applauding mm-hmm. them, like thank you for doing something, mm-hmm. thank you for doing a stunt, thank you for bringing some level of awareness. Because I even if it's you're getting even if you're making people's lives uncomfortable, you are at least doing something. Because to me, I'm like, what are your politicians doing? Who are supposed to be solving this? What are they doing? They're doing nothing. But to me, they're just leaving them out to dry. So. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I agree. And look, I I understand. I mean, apparently, I saw some some reporting, or at least tweeting, that the uh, Van Gogh protesters were a plant, and they were, they were paid for by some oil billionaire that wanted protesters to look bad. I mean, okay, but I don't think they look bad. <laughs> and yeah. Look, and I I can accept that that's maybe me. Like, look. In, in a perfect world where I'm like sitting around with civil rights icons and they're, they're saying, okay, let's get, you know, let's dress everybody in their church clothes and make sure the most respectable looking people in the world and make sure we pick Rosa Parks for the bus stunt and not the woman, the, the young teen mom who initially had, you know, been um, kicked off a bus, uh, arrested for sitting in the white section you know, like, obviously, we can all play this out in a million ways to make it the most ideal. But I'm also supportive of the teen mom who got kicked off the bus. And yeah. I just because these people have pink hair or whatever is not a reason for me to devalue the stunt. I, mm. I, I, I just I'm really I, look, I was an art history major. I value art. Okay, like this isn't about art, but you're you're not going to sit here and tell me that I should be especially beat up about a painting that one didn't get damaged in the first instance, which I think is a mistake, but never mind. But which is recorded and reproduced, photographed from every angle. Like I'm not trying to be I'm not trying to be like an ass about mm. it, but it's one painting. People are dying in the millions from air pollution, toxic waste, heat stroke. A third of Pakistan was just underwater. And, and you're, I, I just, I have zero tears for that. I have zero tears for the Van Gogh that someone's now just going to have to look at in poster form or reproduction form because it got splattered with some tomato stew or, or that was restored because frankly, they'd probably be able to restore it anyway. You know, I just, I, I can't, I can't, at, at very least that moment was supposed to force people to reckon with why it is that they are more invested and this piece of art, as precious as it is, and as much as none of it is Van Gogh's fault, he didn't cl- cause climate change. Like, if, you, if that moment doesn't force you to confront the, uh, the value system in our society, 
then I don't know what to tell you. Well, guess we got to throw some more, some more soup at some more paintings and make sure they're actually damaged this time. Cause it's so much more serious than a, a, a dirty painting. It just, mm-hmm. it just is. And so I wonder, this is the last thing I want to say, I'm going to head out, but it's coming to, I'm coming to a realization that I think, I don't think it really, I think I am at this point. I think we have gotten as far as we can with this, with these, with these squad members in there. I think they've, we've seen how far they're willing to push. I think they're not willing to push any for any further than this. And I think it is time. We're at a, I think we're at a point in time where the only thing that's going to get us to the next level or to the next stage is some form of even I'm, I'm the accelerationist guy so i think mm-hmm. some form of accelerationist act i don't know what that is but is that's the only way i see forward yeah but you have a good one yeah uh, yeah i appreciate you eric you have a good one too keep the faith all right oh bye i thought you were going to be at the end of the queue but a lot of people filed in behind you okay what's on your mind wait a minute where'd you go i'd make next caller there you go okay how's that i think it sounds good i feel i hear myself very loudly and all of you seem a little bit quiet today but if it's just me then i will just turn myself down in my own earphones and deal with it it better now is this better no no no. you you guys are fine i I think it i think it's just me so go ahead okay so um First of all, uh, thanks. Uh, look, I- I'm happy that Nathan will come on and actually defend uh, some of these points or try to. Uh, I-, I think that's healthy. It's good to have actual disagreements where people are actually talking these things out instead of just uh, characterizing each other in-, in some type of way. It's like, oh, this guy's a fake leftist and this guy's a whatever. and mm-hmm. Uh, you know that doesn't get us anywhere and and we we just don't have that kind of time to like be fucking around with petty shit you know part of my french but i'm i'm glad he came on but that being said this episode and some of the arguments that he was making really had me shook because they are i i find them very hard to agree with uh i mean look his his basic argument and you know stop me if i'm getting this wrong or if i'm mischaracterizing him but his basic argument is that he he was justifying AOC's vote to arm the Ukrainian people and saying that it can be justified independently from America's wider foreign policy goals for regime change. Mm-hmm. And apart from the potential effects that the vote can have on escalating tensions. Uh, so he's arguing there are multiple reasons why one would want to arm the Ukrainians. And so long as a member of Congress can independently justify their reason for doing so, then they need not consider that they may be, you know, one, enabling a bunch of people who are voting for the same policy for less principled reasons, uh, mm-hmm. and two, advancing a policy which could lead to escalation. I, I think that is nonsensical. I think that is nonsensical. It's basically a uh, means justify the ends argument as opposed to the ends justify the means. And he gives that World War II example about dropping the atomic bomb and how that's an indefensible policy, yet you know, a member of Congress at the time could vote for funding America's continued war 
effort and how that would arguably be justifiable. But again, once you know that the wider plan is to drop the atomic bomb, mm-hmm. I think you have an obligation at that point, even then, to go against it mm-hmm. or to make some kind of statement or to, to figure out a way for your um, to, to use whatever leverage that you have in Congress to change it, change the vote in a way to where it stops that outcome from happening. And I think you give, um, you challenged the World War II example and basically you told him that, look, even if we accept that World War II example, uh, we're now dealing with opponents with nuclear capabilities and the end game here being potential nuclear annihilation. Uh, how does that change what our role should be as a nuclear power or as a, uh, a person, you know, as a government that's going to be voting on these kinds of uh, international sort of issues. And mm-hmm. you, you basically ask him, okay, is it, should the fact that w- there are nukes involved, the stakes are so high, does that change the calculation? And he says, you know, he acknowledges that it should, you know, he mm-hmm. has a part during the show. He's like at all costs, at all costs and talks about Armageddon. And if you apply that same logic here, should the Ukrainians be armed should we be voting to arm the Ukrainians at all costs? No, probably mm-hmm. no. And he's arguing that basically, I mean, like, look, AOC, just like every other member of Congress, is elected to do what? To represent the best interest of their constituency. And someone who is paid to weigh out the potential harmful effects on our policies and vote in such a way as to protect the people they represent in a way that mitigates any harmful effects that our policies can have on them. Uh, they cannot just justify the harmful effects that happen to their constituents through their votes because they did, they voted from a principled standpoint, right? We can't sleepwalk, like we can't sleepwalk into a nuclear war so long as each shepherd walking us there can independently justify why they didn't wake us up and why their reason for yeah. not waking us up was more valid and humanitarian than the next person. Than the next shepherd who walked us into the nuclear war for uh, different reasons. It's, I mean, and, and this will be the last thing yeah. I say because I'm, I'm talking a lot. I, it's, I think it kind of reflects a deeper sort of this individualist mindset that we have here sometimes. This, this, you know, this like that's that's just like this capitalist short sightedness that we would expect from Fortune 500 companies that vote to increase quarterly profits while their policies that increase those quarterly profits literally destroy the planet and threaten our existence. Like no one cares about AOC's individual morality here. That's not what we're arguing. The goal here is not Mm -hmm. to exonerate AOC in the eyes of God for Mm -hmm. judgment. This, that comes for whatever comes after this, right? The goal here is to stop her from pursuing policies that are going to, potentially end the lives of her constituents. And I don't care if she's principled. I don't care if she's a principled person here. I just, she has to have enough sense that the U.S.'s stance in this war and that arming it and continuing this, especially when you know that regime change is the U.S.'s goal, Mm -hmm. that she is obligated to do what she can on this. And it goes back to force the vote, honestly, that's what's Definitely crazy always. about it. it uh, Bree, I'm, I'm sorry, but like, if there's anything you've changed my mind on the most here, 
It's just understanding leverage with Congress, what they could do, because we keep running into this wall where we let members of Congress get off the hook for bad votes instead of expecting and pressuring members of Congress to use what little leverage they have to stop bad policies. Look, if your goal, if the only way you can stop a potential bad policy is to not vote for it, fucking do it, baby. Do it. Don't right. vote for it. If if it, that is your yeah. look, go ahead. I'm sorry. I've been talking a long time. I'm just I, I feel some I type know, of way, girl. I, I'm I don't, sh- I don't I'm legit interrupt shook. the flow. I've been talking for 30 minutes, so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, look, I just think if if voting no, if not voting is the only tool that you possess, if that's it, if that's the only leverage that you can use here, you have an obligation for your constituents to use that tool, to not vote, to and and take whatever comes with it. But this this whole justifying your whole shit through this, like weaponization of identity politics and these talking points about Putin's puppets. Why the fuck? I don't listen, dog. God damn. Look, someone had a great article about how we could basically take all these little rational steps with no one backing down. Mm -hmm. And and that could end up walking us into a nuclear war. I, I, I forget who it was. I think there was one guy who did one for like the Federalist of all places who was talking about this. And then, um, what's his name? Harry something? Henry? Uh, it's definitely not Kissinger. But Harry, Harry Kazinius or Kazinius? I'm not familiar mm-hmm. with him, but, Mm-mm. you know, like all these little steps that could get us into an actual nuclear conflict are all little rational in, in the context. Like, if, like, people have to be willing to blink. Like, look, that Putin puppet guy is someone that we have to talk to in order to solve this shit, right? Like, even that yeah, kind of so rhetoric. I, I mean, okay, so I'm, I, I'm glad you brought up the, the point about force of vote, because honestly, the, the, thing, the thing that I found to be, that I disagree with about Nathan's reasoning is that the idea that her votes couldn't be contingent. So I, I don't agree with, I don't agree with sending Ukraine defense spending because the question that I answered the day they sorry the question that I asked the day after this conflict has yet to be answered, which is why this conflict and not other conflicts. Until someone yeah. can answer that question, I'm not going to sit around saying, "Oh yes, give weapons to random people all over the world." Right. Okay. However, if you felt differently than I did, if you felt as though Nathan did, his thinking was a little bit it was a little bit of an all or nothing rationale. Where if I want the spinning to go, then I'm going to vote for the spinning regardless of what the consequences is, no matter what people do with it, including, you know, not having it contingent on there being diplomacy and peace talks. That is not how it works. At every point, you should be using your leverage and making your vote contingent on there being limitations on how the money is spent and what has to happen for you to to get your vote. That's the whole point. And so it is always for us to vote because it is always about leverage. And how you're going to use it. The idea that because I have a general warm feeling in my heart about Ukrainians, which is very lovely, we should all have very warm feelings in our heart about all of our comrades around the globe. That doesn't mean anything. We're having a conversation about where to send millions and billions of dollars of American aid, especially when you have the, you know, stories about 
you know, th- th- such a huge quantity of the weapons and money being unaccounted for right. the presence of Nazi, like there's just too much to ignore even on top of that, which, which we're not even touching right now. And, and the, so, uh, the yeah. thing that's a tell, the tell there too, Brie, is how willing they are to ignore it and how the, the conversations change completely when suddenly we're now in this war or we're now supplying weapons to Ukraine. You know, all this talk about the Azov Battalion. You look, does it, like, whatever percentage of the army that they make up for, there, were, there was a time when even U.S. media was at least acknowledging the fact yes. that they existed there. Rokata and now had the we whole, even that was the whole point of Max Blumenthal confronting Rokata. That he was basically like, you used to, you sponsored some kind of bill or something. What was it? To say, let's make sure that these people don't get American dollars. Right. And now, mum's the word that the New York Times used to characterize them as Nazis, and now they have like reworked their adjectives so that they don't they don't, they they're they're whitewashing their own reporting from years it's, ago. It's some like nineteen like I know nineteen eighty four gets brought up all the fucking time and everything, mm-hmm. right? And but it really is some like newspeak type shit. It is some like. We were never at war with Eurasia. We were always at war with Eurasia oh, type shit. And, and the, you know, all those tells that you talk about. I mean, first of all, thank you, too, for acknowledging the fact that, like, a bill can have a motherfucking rider, right? Like, we're allowed to put restrictions within a bill on how this money gets spent. So the idea, too, that even the World War II example, going back to that, that there couldn't be, all right, yes, I will vote to support the war effort for my country, but none of the funds can none of it can go towards uh, funding a, any kind of nuclear operation, even that or that or that the money comes because I wish I had the statements from the State Department out because I don't want to misrepresent anybody. But the statements that are basically to the effect of we're not you know, we're, we're shutting down any communication with Putin or shutting down any negotiation with Putin, you know, like the, the, the statements like that are about we want regime change in, in Russia. Like, that yes. is the goal. We want to weaken Russia. That is the goal. The idea of knowing that those statements are out there, that there's a portion of independent media that has been criticizing those statements, and then for you as AOC to come along and say, anybody who says anything along these lines is simply a Putin puppet and also completely legitimate in, in voting for endless amounts of funds. From one of the poorest districts in America, by the way, but to vote for endless amounts of funds to support this conflict in ways that, I'm going to just put my hand over my eyes and go, la, 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 All I care yeah. about is, like, hashtag, you know, Ukraine, send the money. That, that's just not tenable. And, look, I, I, don't want, I don't want it to be the case. But I have – I mean, look, look, look at this statement. This time – this is AOC. AOC. Yeah. This time they were parroting pro-Putin talking points. It's not anti-war to support – Russia's imperialist project to invade and seize neighboring yeah. countries either. Yeah. So she's she's characterizing what they're advocating for as supporting Russia's imperialist project. To to want there to be any question about the limitations of American aid to Ukraine, what it's used for or whether it's well calculated to resolve the conflict as opposed to do regime change in Russia is to quote support Russia's imperialist project to invade and seize, seize neighboring countries. Jesus. I mean, that is, that is, I'm sorry. Like that is such a dishonest 
recharacterization of what people were asking. You can you can disagree with the protest. I don't, but one can in a principled way say, I don't think that was good optics. I don't think you should shout people down. Whatever. You can have your take, but you don't get to pretend. You, you can even say, I doubt some of their motives because of where they're from. Okay, fine. But you yeah. still have to contend with the argument that's being made in the room. Thank which is not what you. ASC is doing here. Thank what she's you. doing is frankly lying about the words that came out of their mouth and what their stated goals were. Every single thing in that statement that she said, of all the things she could have said in that statement, not once does she contend with the motherfucking argument. Not once does she actually just address the point that is being made, the concern that is actually coming from the people. And look, this is one thing I'll, I'll take away from law school or whatever forever is that, you know, broken clock could be right twice. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter who is making the statement. It could be the most bullshit ass, mean spirited, uh, bad motivations, whatever. What is the response? Like the statement itself, the argument itself is what you contend with. That's what you contest. That's what you address. Okay. The other stuff you could get into all that for like motive and all that. But that being said, to obfuscate the point that the this you know guy, this guy who spoke out at her uh, event, mm. to completely obfuscate the point they were trying to make with all of these talking points and all of this other stuff. What she's trying to do is deflect away, like get everyone to just think this guy is just, oh, he's a bad actor and a Putin puppet, you know, so we don't have to listen to the truth, to what he said. And this is, you know, if we really want to get into this shit, like having, when we get into really into like identity politics, when it comes to the way that people in the past and it's still today, but in the past, you know, like, uh, you don't have to listen to anything this person says because they're black, which means they're un- more uneducated, they're stupider, they don't have the same intellectual capacity as we all do, yada, yada, yada. What That shit used to exist, right? And it still exists to some point today. Hell, if someone speaks out and makes a really good point and they have like purple or pink hair, you can bet your ass that like the right or whatever is just going to be like, look at this SJW with fucking pink hair and doesn't know shit and probably listens to uh, Weezer still and only like, I don't know, the Blue Album. You know what I mean? It's like you could just keep going on this shit. And that's what this is. Like, okay, cool. He could be all of that shit. He could be all of it. But don't you have it? Don't you have an obligation to address the point that's actually being made? And it's when all of the conversations in our media are all conversations about oh, this this ain't the right one or this person had nefarious intentions so we don't need to address it, then we never address the point and we continue marching forward into this escalatory conflict without the pressure that needs to be built, without people even knowing. We're being slept walk into that that end. And like, I don't know, dude. Like, it just scares the shit out of me, which is wild. this, this, you know, this moment, this, this tweet, this whole exchange, 
and combine that with the moment where Justin Jackson, who's been a little offline for the past year or so, and I miss him, but Justin Jackson engaging on that force the vote stuff and AOC responding to him, I think, thinking that he didn't know what he was talking about and perhaps under, under crediting him, getting exposed on that score and saying yeah. that she was going to all the all the reasons why she said force of vote didn't make sense were which were in complete conflict with uh the arguments that she made just a few months later when she said she was going to hold the line over the bill back butter bill like over and over again she tells on herself on twitter and that's why she's the focus of this and i think she sometimes gets more focus than is warranted out of the whole squad which they're all screwing up but it's because she sticks her foot in it Again and again, she thinks, you know, I don't know if she's getting too much validation on Instagram and stuff and, and, and doesn't, doesn't see how she's coming off in other contexts. And look, maybe it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, AOC is probably going to have a long career in Congress, long after we've all given up trying to make a difference. <laughs> um, oh, uh. But like, so maybe she's right, but it's disappointing because I think a lot of us believe that um, she, she really wanted to not just win these arguments and these exchanges, but to be a positive influence um, for change. Right. So I've got to push on Biden because I'm almost at an hour and I've only talked to two people. <laughs> yeah, please do. But thank you. And, you know, maybe, I don't know, we could do something fun later on the podcast. I don't know, play something fun or something so that I don't go in a spiral of just, <laughs> okay, I can't believe I'll try this to where we're at. I'll try to think of a good song to rap on at the very least. All right, All right thanks for faith, taking my bud. call. Yeah, always. Bye. Bye-bye. Chris Brown, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing good, as good as I can. It's Monday. You know how that is. I hear that. I'm drinking a uh, Miller High Life because I'm out of all my good beers, and I got to say, I'm not sure it's the champagne of beers. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're really a beer person, aren't you? I, like, am not historically. I, I, okay. I... I'm a tequila person, but it feels like a lot to be drinking tequila on a Monday. <laughs> and I have like, so I had a party. I had a, I, I hosted a birthday party for one of my friends from the campaign in like April. And I bought oh, okay. a bunch of beer for that and nobody liked it or drank it. And so I'm still just getting through that stash is what it is. <laughs> All right. Makes sense. Makes a little sense. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I wanted to kind of just give my two cents, I guess, into this whole um, uh, this AOC thing and then the idea of um, what happened with the protesters and everything and her response to it. I mean, her doubling down, just seeing um, her Instagram and her doubling down, especially on the idea that they were inter uh, they were interrupting a person who was deaf. It's like mm -hmm. I really, really, I really, 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 really hope that you can somehow prove that that was a deaf person and you wasn't reading an email from a deaf person. Cause then it's like, yeah, now you just, you're going like peak lib, just really just trying to get like, uh, just, just really trying to go into the identity politics and everything like that. And then I, I think I wonder with her, it's, it's. Hey, you're breaking up a little bit, Chris. Oh, uh, am I good now? Uh, am I good now? Yeah. I'm not exactly sure what's going on. Is it? Let me know if it's just me, audience. Um, but go, go ahead, push through. I'm not sure what's going on. I'm gonna go to a different house because my uh, Wi-Fi has been really, really, really bad. So, 
Give me one second. Okay. All right, I went to the basement for. You went to the basement and then you cut out. Hello? Can y'all hear me? Oh, no. Chris. Sorry. Okay, I can hear you. All right, my bad. I don't know. I thought. You my thought, basement oh, was no. is the best place to get Wi Fi. Oh, with uh, AOC okay. and uh, I, I lost my train of thought. Oh. What's going on? I, I don't know. Okay, you could just skip me. I'm sorry. I, I don't know what's going on. With no, no, no go ahead. No, no, no. You've been, wait, you've been waiting. I'll give you a second to try to click. You were saying, you were saying, um, you really thought that. Something about AOC, maybe, maybe how you thought that they that she was gonna stick the landing, or <laughs> um, no, you saw think... you were talking about what you the social media post, the the Instagram post. Yeah. Um. So yeah, as far as like the social media post and her just doubling down, it just seems like she's really, really, like I hate to say it, but she's really starting to become a part of Congress, and I guess that's not what we voted her in for, like. She's literally starting to like really peek into her like liberalness, and it's like she was supposed to be there for our adversarial purpose or adversarial reasons, but that's not seem to be happening no more. And, and obviously, she's like she doesn't like uh, she doesn't really deal with con- uh, confrontation, and it just seems like a lot of the things she said she was standing up for or what she was about, it just seems like it's all starting to go out of the window. Like I remember when she tweeted that like you know she would rather she would rather do one term in Congress as opposed to, um, as opposed to um, giving up on her morals and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. that just kind of seems like that's going out of the window now too. And then also I wonder, I, I don't want to necessarily be this guy to bring race into things though, but the, I've been asking myself this question of like, why, why Ukraine? Like, why is it like, this is like the thing that, it's more so it's definitely on the left. It's like the thing we have to be for and the thing we, we just got to go. We got to go in the balls, the wall, 100 percent. And we just got to go. And it's like, is it really because it's a European country? Because for the most part, we have a good job of when it's other countries or browner countries and things like that. We have no problem as far as like, you know, having any kind of like, well, this is like wrong or just absolutely like you know at least questioning the idea of why we're trying to spend money for things and then i know we recently just started arming up for haiti so it's like yep what's and that one is like oh my god it's like yeah we should have an episode about that next week i'm setting that up now but yeah like oh okay i cannot one third of pakistan was just underwater (laughs) like (laughs) exactly this is why I said on the podcast, like, I'm not trying to be glib, but if it's really about saving lives and you had, like, a billion dollars, you could sit down and say, okay, how how am I going to make this billion dollars save the most lives? And I promise you there's a zillion things you would do that were, didn't involve paying Lockheed Martin a bunch of money to send weapons to Ukraine. This, <laughs> I, and, and remember, like, am I the only one who remembers the early days of this conflict when there was so much media coverage of how newscasters kept telling on themselves, saying stuff about how, well, we, we've been in war zones before, but this time the kids are blonde. <laughs> like, yes, I do remember. 
like, oh my god, white people actually destroy shit too. What if, or they're in conflict with each other? It's not no, just these brown. Well, you know, white people are homeless. White people are trying to 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 flee the border. These people have blonde hair and blue eyes. Blonde hair and blue eyes. Blonde hair and blue eyes. Goodness gracious! Mm-hmm. I mean, blonde hair and blue <gasps> eyes have a grip on some of you white people. I don't know. I don't know what that's all about. <laughs> that's not my. That's not my um, ministry. But yeah. I. I, it, it, people could not stop themselves from talking about how remarkable they thought the conflict was for that reason. Now, I don't obviously don't want to go in the other direction and I'll minimize what people are going through just because I'm a little resentful that so many people who aren't mm-hmm. blonde hair and blue eyes don't get the same attention. But yeah, I think it would be naive to think that that's not some part of how. I'm not saying it's part of why we're involved. I think we're involved because of Russia and Putin and our yeah. broader goals. Our meaning America, not mine personally, obviously. But I, 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 I think that part of how they've gotten the American public so on board so quickly does have to do with who the victims look like in this case. It may, I think you're right. Like I had a cynical, maybe like a cynical conspiracy theory of why, like in particular, like like liberals are more into it because there was a point where at least the left, or I'll say, I guess I can't. Well, I'll say progressives now they used to be very much anti-interventionist and that was like a huge part of their movement. And then it's like, when it came to this, it's like, why? And my, my weird conspiracy theory is, is pretty much what happened was that uh, Russia is the reason why Hillary Clinton lost. Mm-hmm. So since they are the reason why they lost, um, you know, we have to make them pay. So mm-hmm. through all the, everything was, and they gave us Donald Trump. So of course that's that fault. So then when Russia actually does do like uh, starts an unprovoked war, it goes, oh, this could be our way to get it back, but we can do it back in a clean way where we don't commit troops. We'll just use another country, a.k.a. proxy war and everything. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's really more anger about. And I think, and I may be wrong about this, but I truly, truly do feel if a Republican was was a president, you would get way more pushback from liberals. Mm -hmm. And I just, and I think that, and if that's the case, then that's just, yeah, that's just, that's sad. That's really sad that this is more political than it actually is about like any merit. But I mean, most of the, our wars are, and everything like that is just more political. So, mm. yeah. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not trying to be. I'm not trying to act like no no or something or be big headed yeah. about this. But if you go back mm-hmm. to whatever the bad faith episode was that you know people were very frustrated about for good reason with Matt Das. Bernie's former foreign policy guy who's just left for some mm-hmm. like neoliberal p- policy think tank, apparently, which we should do a follow up on. Um, the question that I asked then, and that I still, I, 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 this is not a weighted question. This is not a gotcha. I'm just waiting for people to articulate the global theory of American intervention and why it is that we act here and not there. And are mad about this country, but not that country and sanction this person and not that person and ignore this journalist being killed. But now suddenly are mad at Saudi Arabia because oil prices are too high. And, and the reason I want to press on those things is because it's quite obvious to everyone who's ever cracked one eye open, even a little bit that morals, values, humanitarian efforts don't motivate any of these things, even if there are some residual humanitarian benefits sometimes to engaging. And forcing people to explain the rationale makes it very obvious that the rationale is bullshit. <laughs> it, it really is. It's like you can't even hide it that it's like not bullshit no more. Um, I know um, on Breaking Points today, um, 
um, Emily and Ryan, they interviewed uh, um, the former ambassador of Haiti, and he kind of mm-hmm. gave, like, his two I mean, he kind of really, he flat out just said it. Like, he think it's because it's America's stance on the idea that the these 12 million Black people are just too fucking stupid to run the country, so we have to intervene. Like, he mm-hmm. looked, that, that literally came out of his mouth where he said mm-hmm. that. Though, but it is kind of like, why, like, as far as that, in, like, I think everyone should go, like, watch that. Because it was actually kind of, it kind of helped me inform me a little bit. Because I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on in Haiti? And then, of course, when I tried to look it up on news, there was, like, very little. Or, you know, the pro-American of, oh, there's a bunch of gangs running the country. And, you know, because they're, you know, they're running the country, there's a lot of murder. And then a lot, they're having a really bad hunger problem. And the gangs are the reason for it. So this is why the UN is getting involved. And then... Uh, the U.S. is sending special forces on the ground, which pretty much means they're sending military in there. And it's like they were kind of talking. He's like, this could actually turn out really bad because in most of our in uh, uh, the countries we get involved with as far as like uh, us intervening, what happens is our military has a very hard time distinguishing the good people from the bad people. So then a lot of innocent people get killed. And then obviously we know Haitians, you know, history. They don't really do too well with like foreigners kind of come in and that's kind of always been the problem and it's like why can't we just like let's just why can't for one time we could just go you know what this is your country you do it run it into the fucking ground if you want to we're done why can't we have ever have that approach yeah yeah i mean this came up a little bit in the venezuela back and forth on rising a few weeks ago but 100 percent that our involvement is a real tell about what we really are afraid of outcome wise if if we mm-hmm. you know, otherwise if you think it's so terrible that you don't have to that it, that things are going to crash and burn if you don't do it the capitalist way then let it crash and burn but we never let that happen we never let people actually have self determination per AOC's tweet and I did our, our Instagram story and I did see some people throwing that term back at her specifically referencing Haiti and whether whether or not she was going to stand up for their self determination but we all I think know the answer to that really unfortunately. But look, thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, and I'm looking forward to, to finishing putting together this Haiti panel that I hope you guys enjoy next week. And thanks as always for calling in, Chris. Yeah, no problem. All right. Keep the faith, my friend. Yeah. D, how are you doing? Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. Hey, Brianna, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah. What are you thinking about this evening? I'm thinking about the reaction. First of all, I got to tell you, the painting... I maybe I'm I'm uptight, but I was not a fan of that stunt that they did. <laughs> Tell um, us why? I don't know. I just think a lot of it was like just very. There there's performative things, and then I think there are things where it's just pure shock value, and and I think that's you know I I I guess they got their goal, but but I think sometimes environmentalists are, are kind of sometimes can be an op by the fossil fuel companies. But the thing I wanted to talk about um, environmentalists like environmentalists like that at least but the thing i wanted to talk about was um the town hall with um aoc mm-hmm. do, do you think fundamentally it matters who's making a criticism of something of, of something or a politician like who's making the criticism i mean i think from a messaging standpoint it does because if it's the quote-unquote wrong person you have to spend half of your energy explaining to people why they shouldn't care who it is making the criticism right and we get all this good faith, bad faith shit. I mean, this whole fucking podcast name. I mean, yeah. look with all the Marjorie Taylor Greene stuff. And people will be mad at me saying, okay, broken clock is right. You know, people are half, – half the response was – three quarters, 90% of the response was, okay, but she doesn't mean it. And 
I could be, I could stand like Prometheus chained to a rock for the end of my days shouting. I know she doesn't mean it. I agree. She's in bad faith. I know she doesn't mean yeah. it. I agree. She's in bad faith and it wouldn't matter. To these people, they like their brain. It cannot penetrate past that point. Like they cannot hear a point. They're looking for reasons not to have to listen to an argument that they're uncomfortable with. And if you give it to them in the form of a person that they don't like it, they makes them the happiest campers in the world. Well, I think to be fair, you have equity because you worked on like a campaign, um, like of a, like my who who's still I would say my probably my favorite politician, um, but I, I guess the reason I ask that is because I've just noticed that I think one of the things AOC has pointed out is that there are a lot of to me incongruent criticisms of politicians, and what I mean by incongruent is they logically just don't make sense. You know, like, like even, even someone who I used to follow, like, and he's not killer Mike. He was like, yeah, well, Stacey Abrams, I had all these questions about marijuana and all that. And now he's endorsing Brian Kemp. Those are incongruent. If Stacey Abrams is not progressive enough, then Brian Kemp can't be the answer. That's just an incongruent thought. Killer Mike endorsed Brian Kemp? Quasi. He was like, yeah, he's like, yeah, Brian Kemp, you know, he's as a good Southern man. I know Brian cares. And then this is after doing interviews about I have questions about Stacey. That that to me is just not – it's one thing if you're like, yeah, I can't vote for Stacey because she's not progressive enough. But you can't say, oh, I have all these questions from a progressive direction, and now I'm voting for Brian Kemp. Like that to me is an incongruent criticism. It's like it's like me saying, Brady, like, yeah, man, even these Tesla owners are full of crap because their cars are still environmentally damaging. But I'm going to hang out with a bunch of gas-guzzling, gas-guzzling Hummer owners. Like that doesn't make sense. And, and for these people to be so concerned with war, and then the guy says, I'm happily backing Trump, and he's not a normie voter who, you know, normie voters obviously are, they can have lots of conflicting views, so I give them grace. But this guy's an activist, and he's, he's for, voted for Trump twice when Trump is one of the biggest neocons. And then he's coming after AOC in, on a moral high ground. Like, Wait, I'm sorry, who, who voted for Trump? I'm the guy who, um, um, one of the guys who was who did the video and at, at shouting at AOC, he said, twice, "How do we know that?" Because he said in his Twitter, like, not Jose recently, Vega. What is that? Jose is it Vega. Jose? Yeah, yeah. Look, look under Jose Vega and then look Trump. He's like, "Yeah, I voted for the man twice." Which, if you were a swing, if you were a normie voter, I'd be like, "Okay, that's." But but you can't be an activist saying I'm voting for a neocon in chief who 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 appointed John Bolton and John Pe- and, and Mike Pompeo, and then tell me that you're really anti-war. Like, that's just... <laughs> so let, let's, let's talk that through. So that all being said, because I think that that would be, you know, conclusive if this were a conversation about voting for Jose Vega for president or, you know, following Jose's political organization or subscribing to Jose's podcast or listening to yeah. him in any way and brought more broadly than the exchange with AOC. But do you agree with the protest on its face? I, I think it's the wrong, I think it's the wrong people. I mean, I'm, I'm much more, maybe I'm much more, I don't, I don't want to say I'm sympathetic to Ukraine per, or not, but, but I'm not, I would need to see it in a context with someone who I, who is arguing in, in, in good faith that I can see, because I just, to me, to me, it's pro, pro to, to me, Bri, it's saying, Oh yeah, I support force the vote. 
because Medicare for all needs to be implemented. And then I find out that you're like supporting politicians that want to repeal Obamacare. And it's like, what, like I, I, there's logically, it just doesn't make sense. So I can't support something like that because then to me, well, it's I could see an accelerationist argument for supporting. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not saying I would, I, mean, I, I could make an, I could make an argument. Um, but I, I get your point. I'm just, but it just difficult. feels very oppish. It feels very oppish. And I've just noticed that there, there are a lot of people to me who should know better. And then I mentioned Russell Brand a couple of weeks ago, like who should just know better. And it's like, why are your, all of your arguments? Oh, not you even... were the guy who brought up Russell Brand. See, the <sighs> thing when you brought up Russell Brand and I, and I pushed you on what it is that he was saying, actually, I didn't, I felt like there was, there was not a lot of there there. Well, my, my problem with him is I don't, I don't think he's a bet, but, but he, uh, well, I don't want to go, but he, he like is said, well, I don't understand why people say I'm on the right. And then every video of his, I, I said is how Trump is right. Right. Which... right. But I, I watched a Russell Brand video today, actually, while I was eating lunch and it was excellent. It was about uh, Joe Biden lying about, or misrepresenting what it means, uh, for him to, you know, release from jail everyone who's in 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 jail for a possession charge, which is zero people. And he lined up all the videos of what Trump had promised to do during the campaign, and then contrasted them with the videos he's making now and misrepresenting what his campaign promises are and what he's actually doing. And it was very effective. And I remember, I distinctly remember at one point in the video, he says, "You know, Democrats or are a corporate neoliberal party that is going to lie to you." And he says, to be clear, Republicans are as well, and continues with the video. And I, I, that is my impression of Russell Brand, that he very consistently pushes people away from the duopoly, unlike, I would say, Tulsi Gabbard. Yeah. Well, based, Tulsi- and I, and I don't, don't come at me, Tulsi fans. I'm basing this on her most recent statements, including the long Substack post she wrote explaining why she loved the Democratic Party. And some people are saying – it's a statement of why she left the Democratic Party. She shouldn't have to explain why Republicans are bad. That's fine. But from a comms perspective, if you have all of these criticisms of the Democratic Party that are identical criticisms to the Republican Party and you don't say anything about it, there's a credibility issue because the implication is obvious when you criticize one in a two-party system. If you sit around and say, I hate the Democrats because they use a mammal as their logo, and you ignore that the Republicans also use a mammal as their logo. You're just saying nothing at a certain point. You're just saying words. <laughs> you're but not, you you're not advocating for any alternative. And I think, I think also the other thing, too, that AOC is doing, and, you know, I have my criticism of AOC, is that I think at some point politicians are just going to respond to who the, – the reason the in-group, out-group, and who's into electoral politics matters is because that's who politicians are going to respond to. Like, if we just flip this, Brie, let's just pretend a Republican went to a rally and said, Ted Cruz, you're not conservative enough. And he was like, you know who I like? I'm an Obama guy. The right would laugh that person out of the room. They would be like, dude, like, get out of here. You know, like, the right is very good at, like, are you on, are you critiquing from a conservative perspective or like there are not any people in the right. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's find an issue that um, Obama is to the, in in truth to the right of a conservative on. So let's, 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 how about this example? In 2008, 
both Obama and McCain said they were for campaign finance reform. Obama changed mm-hmm. his mind with the quickness once he won the primary and realized how much money he could get from all his online donations and dummies like me. Yes. So <laughs> if, if someone went to a um, – I mean this is a little like – I mean this is a little – I'm going to be arguing from an ideological position that I don't like here. But if someone went to a McCain rally and said, you know, why are you for campaign finance reform? I, you know, this is, you know, this is not a conservative issue. We need to have money in politics as a speech issue. Citizens United, mm-hmm. which hadn't happened yet, but rah, rah, Citizens United. Obama, Obama even understands the importance of having dark money campaign contributions. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, like, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a weird scenario. Yeah. Because Don McCain's not like typical in that regard for a Republican, and Obama was, you know, betraying his own campaign promises. But yeah, like I, I don't, think, I don't see that as like the slam dunk, easy the Republicans lap out of the room. I think it would be difficult because McCain at the time was the standard bearer for the party, and they would have to contend with it. Yeah. On this narrow point, is Obama right on something? On this narrow point, is Tulsi right? And this, and this is the thing, like. I, so it's not just about Tulsi. It's more broadly in the left discourse. I got to say, it's absolutely exhausting. I can't go anywhere. I can't have a cocktail with friends because somebody has a problem with something everybody has said. Everybody. And everywhere I go, I'm confronted with, why are you friends with so-and-so? Why did you have so-and-so on the podcast? They said this. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. If I blackballed every single person who said or did anything wrong, I would have I would have no one to talk to anymore. And it's it's exhausting. You have to be able to compartmentalize. Are there issues that are deal breakers for you? Absolutely. And I completely respect people having those, whatever they are. But like me personally, if I'm just doing analysis, I have to be able to pick up and leave behind what's useful to me or not useful to me. What I agree with. And not agree with and not be forced into making arguments about how Tulsi said it, so it must be bad. Obama said it, so it must be good. It, it just it, it, it doesn't make sense. You'll, you'll break yeah. your brain trying to move through the world like that. And that's how so many people are moving through the world. And it's so stupid. It leads to all these stupid takes. It leads to these unnuanced takes about things like Kanye and whatever the hell else is going on in the world. And it's boring. But don't Everyone we have? Everyone knows that Kanye said anti-Semitic things. Everyone knows it. It's not controversial. Is there a more interesting conversation to be had? Yes, a hundred percent. We tried to have it with 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 what's his name, the comedian Dave Chappelle. Yeah. We tried to have it over Whoopi Goldberg's comments about anti-Semitism. We tried to have it about you know just generic thoughts about race and belonging with Thomas Chatterton Williams. Those are the conversations I'm trying to have, and I'm and right now it's like. I don't care. I just, I, I, I respect that you feel differently. And a lot of people feel like you. So I'm glad you called in, but I, for one, LaRouche never heard of him. Don't care about him. I care about the fact that what the, those young men said in that room was at least 80% there in terms of a substantive critique of AOC that regretfully no one else has gone to her at town halls and shouted and made. So are they the best vehicles for this? Maybe not. Is there an alternative? Not that I see. I, but I hope I hope all the people out there who think that these guys did a bad job show up at the AOC's next town hall and are prepared to make the right version of those criticisms and are prepared to walk into the Met or the Whitney or wherever the hell you live, where the museums are, and 
with a can of tomato soup in your pocket. Yeah, yeah. I guess my I guess the grocery agreement is is I do I just think that in group out group communities matter uh, comments matter and I guess to to give a counter example to me like uh, you know as as someone who's black if someone who I know cares about the black community says this is a critique we need to do better on something that to me is a fundamentally different thing than a white guy like let's just say Ben Shapiro being like the problem with the blacks is X Y and Z like those are the message might be the same but to me that's a fundamental different thing and i would never i would never platform if ben shapiro were critiquing his issues with black people i would never platform that in the same way that i would with someone who i knew is a lifelong community activist like and i'm not saying that's what you're doing but i i fundamentally think that that matters and and i think that there is a lot i do think a lot of the criticism of the squad is based on them being you know not all but them being women of color and and all that and I, i i think that you know, the anti-war people to me, okay, if you're so anti-war, if, if DeSantis or Trump gets elected, I better see all of you, not not you, Britt, but I'm saying I better see all of you guys going to everybody's town hall and everything. Because I, because it's not lost on me that a lot of the anti-war people are way more critical of Joe Biden and the Democrats who have atrocious foreign policy than they were of Trump four years ago, who has infinitely worse foreign policy. Well, where did Trump start? What, what do you mean by that? I mean, what war did Trump start? Well, his, his I'm, I'm talking, I didn't say war. I said, I said his, uh, his policies in Israel are very neocon. Well, no, 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 no. People were plenty criticism, plenty critical. The left was very critical of the move of the embassy in Jerusalem and all of that stuff. I, I remember people being loud and angry about all of that stuff. Okay. Like that. No, but the, the reason you're seeing people hyped up right now. The reason that we saw people hyped up under Bush is because wars were started. People were mad about Obama and the drone wars because he started and uh, amplified existing conflicts. So, like that, like this is this is the thing. Like, I, 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 I don't want to be forced into a defense of Trump. Tulsi Gabbard or anybody else. But this is what I was saying on the episode. If you are made uncomfortable by the idea that some of these not good people are to the left of leftists, change the leftist. Don't try to like judge the facts of who was mad about what, when, and who was really worse. No, 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 no. This is not a defense of Putin or Trump or Tulsi or anybody else or the LaRouche, whatever that is. At the end of the day, the bar is on the floor. If, 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 if a single progressive would vote against Ukraine funding, then Republic, Republicans would no longer have the argument that Republicans are the anti-war party. Point blank, period. It's, the ball's in your court, homies. Like, folks, But Biden friends. did Afghanistan withdrawal, got no credit for it, and people still say That's he's not a true! Hawk. Guy love Kyle Kalinsky's Twitter, uh, you, uh, his his YouTube videos, and watch him sing the praises for weeks, defending how based it was that Joe Biden withdrew from Afghanistan, and that was broadly the attitude across the left. Tyt David Pakman, well, the, the F. Chapo, everybody the was thrilled. The people you're naming, though, to be fair, Brie, are now considered sellouts. Like people consider Kyle Kalinsky and Tyt and. Well, I, I'm not. I'm not in control like, of that. I don't know. Like, that's that's up to people. But every everybody on the left, everybody, RBN, name a group. 
everybody, uh, Jimmy Dore, everybody was happy about the withdrawal. Everybody. Everybody. Well, I guess I guess we have different memories because I don't remember there being that much of that like celebrating. Tor- no, no, no. The people who were pissed off were libs. They were not Democrat. They were not leftists. Leftists gave Biden credit for that. And you feel like leftists have given Biden credit for drastically reducing the amount of drone strikes compared to Trump. I mean, I, I, I to be honest, I'm not familiar with whether that fact. You know, if if that is true, then he should get credit for it. But I don't like that's. I'm sorry, I, I just I'm not I'm not familiar. This isn't like my area of expertise, so I, I can't really opine on that. I haven't really seen much coverage of that. I don't. I, this is the first I'm hearing of it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I get. I guess. I guess. I, I get your perspective, and I respectfully disagree. But I, I appreciate you taking my call, Bree. Yeah, of course, always. I Thank you so much. You calling in. Keep the faith. Will do. All right, Shelly, what is on your mind this evening? Hey, Bree. Well, obviously, this whole AOC thing um, is on my mind. Um, you know, I, I get how people would have harsh comments for Nathan Robinson, and he does come off, you know, kind of slightly more like the PMC and, you know, that type of stuff. But I do think that out of all of the people that you could have invited, he was going to give you the fairest conversation. So. Yeah, I appreciate that. I hope you guys know sometimes, I I hope you guys can tell what it is I'm trying to do. I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously there's a version of this episode where I have, let's say, you know, Nick from RBN on. And we just kiki the whole time about how based this protest was and how dumb AOC is. Right? Like there's a version of that episode. You are actively taking a guest that you know you will have pushback with. Yes. And you're, you're teasing out contradictions. I, yes. it's, it's easy to see like, and, and, and I didn't, at first I was like, Oh God, I can't watch it. I can't watch it. And then I was like, no, I know Bree's going to do it. I know she's going to do it. So, <laughs> and he did. And you gave him, you know, like a slow moving, but very good line of questioning that I think really kind of set the issue um, insights. But, you know, we, we keep talking about the protesters and, you know, did they make a mistake by mentioning this person's name and did they talk over a deaf constituent and, and I just, I feel, and, and, oh, did they vote for Trump at one point? It, so typically, usually the way things happen, whenever you're trying to challenge established power, is you don't punch down. You punch up. Mm-hmm. AOC is up. The protesters are down. Mm-hmm. All of this just hyperbole. I mean, like, I, I sat there and I watched, like, Kyle's, like, 20 minute video where the only thing he could do is be like, Tulsi, 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 mm-hmm. and not engage with it. It's just, we guys had, we have to stop that. Like we we're getting this like cult of personality for elected officials that we're trying to defend. And really just, they should just be seen as just a simple placeholder for the person that holds a seat of power. I don't care what they look like. I don't care. Do they have the right position? Are they making people's lives better? Are they stopping us from nuclear war? No? Get screamed at. I I mean, I I really don't care. And then we also, over and over and over again, we really forget 
about the people living in the Donbass region. I mean, my political party that I'm in, we've talked to comrades over in Donbass. Mm. They're the conditions they're living in are horrible and terrifying. And they have been mm. trying to just do the Minsk Accords be like a like an autonomous province for years. That was part of the Minsk Accords. Mm -hmm. They've been shelled. We've been supplying weapons to them, you know, the Ukrainians to kill the people in the Donbass. There was this one video that I saw. It was like, I mean, she was like this 90 year old lady who had been kind of like in whatever explosion and her leg was broken and the Russian soldiers were in there like binding up her leg and putting in her stretcher and carrying her out of an of like bombs dropping and all that other type of stuff. And she was sitting there and she was telling those people, she's saying for eight years, we've prayed for Putin to come here. Mm. We are so happy you're here. Mm. Like, and you know, yeah, it's misery. War is fucking misery. But we, where is the Donbass's right to self-determination AOC? Like, yeah. we can't just throw around that word all yeah. the time. It, yeah, it's an obvious look. It, that's part of, I think, what made, makes that statement just feel so icky. Is that, she, that using words like self-determination, it, it is exploiting the goodwill of people mm -hmm. who do support, you know, capital D democracy or lowercase D democracy, I guess. People who, you know, just trust AOC and that she wants good things for people and who are not going to pick under that scab and get at what is really meant by that in practical terms. And it right. feels, I don't know, it feels really, it feels really gross to kind of almost prey on people's goodwill and know that you can throw out a good sounding idea like self-determination and then also a little ad hominem you're a pro-Putin and then also completely misconstrue what argument was made. And, and the thing is she'll get away with it because who has access to her to ask her any questions about it? You know, right. you know, we see from Medi's tweet that he's not going to follow up with her about oh. the substantive criticisms. Who else gets to interview her? Right. And then, and then we get treated to this whole thing about like, I'd be happy to answer that question, but you're being rude. I'm sorry. What other setting do we have available to us to ask you these questions? Yeah. I'll give, to, if, I'll, I'll give Jamal Bowman some credit. He did yeah. meet with Jose afterward. Yeah. And like his answers were crap, but at least he did follow <laughs> up and agree to meet. Like you got the sense that AOC and under no circumstances, like at a certain point she decided that the, the, the tone of the protesters caused them to be disqualified. Well, and she also to has disqualify to be, them. she has to be more careful just because of her media footprint. So that's, I think the reason why you do see that deflection from her, like literally no one cares about Jamal Bowman. He hasn't been on vanity fair yet. I don't think, <laughs> you know, with the full like photo shoot and, you know, the whole spread, but you know, she definitely out of all of the squad has, the most like face forward image and yeah, she, she gets, it's kind of like what you said. She's the one that kind of puts her foot in that situation. And then she's going to sit there and be like, you're being rude to me. Mm -hmm. I'm being victimized here. Once mm -hmm. again, you are a placeholder for a position of power. I'm sorry, but yeah. you take, you took pre-recorded questions for that interview. At what point did anyone have the opportunity to ask that question in a non-rude manner? Yeah, they didn't. It would have been screened out. You know what we should do? 
we should spam whenever she next does one of these. And I think she does them fairly, fairly regularly. FYI, she has a YouTube channel that's like AOC YouTube. It doesn't have that many followers, and the videos don't get that many views, but it puts up all of her public appearances and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. The next time she does something like this, one cool thing on the left could do is make sure that, like, basically 90% of the questions are about or are basically reiterating what uh, these yep. LaRouche kids said. Yeah, it, or that or <laughs> other things. As sure. long as you are making it about what what have you done, what is substantive, and not saying, you know, and that's kind of one of the things that sort of drives me crazy whenever people get way personal about it, because this is what the right often does. You know, they, they're crazy. They, they call names. They do all that type of stuff. Because this is the thing. If you call them names, now they can say, look, I'm a victim. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. Can't, but the thing that they always have the issue with is actually disputing the facts. That's it. They yeah. can't dispute the facts. So if you only ask them questions that have substantive fact in it and then ask them for their factual reply, then it's not terrorizing them. It's not victimizing them and it's not being rude. Yeah. Well, look, now you guys know, I know that people get frustrated with me and they say I'm too nice and I should be harder and blah, blah, blah. But this is exactly why. Because at the end of the day, like, I look again, I think there's different people who should take different approaches. And I think that the world needs Jimmy Dore and the world needs people who are channeling the anger that people are feeling out there. Mm-hmm. But I also know that someday there's going to be an opportunity. At some point, there's going to be a time where I want there to be someone well positioned to say things that need to be said who can't be easily dismissed the way that someone like Jimmy Dore is dismissed for having like a personal vendetta against AOC or whatever the claim is, or someone who has been too rude or someone, you know, who has been unfair. And maybe it's a fool's errand because moments like this make me think, okay, she's too far gone. There's no point in being, you know, reserving any of the heat at all. But, you know, if that time comes, I would like that for whatever I say to be treated with, as much credibility as possible because no, there I, are unfortunately a lot of folks i mean no disrespect to you d but there are a lot of people who very very much you know can't see past the messenger yeah no i i i totally get it i i think you should continue to maintain sort of your role as sort of like the civility politics interlocutor of the left because that's yeah. that's really what it is you're basically just maintaining sort of like this is a safe space here you you can still engage with the left we don't all bite you know and Mm -hmm. i that is going to be a position that could be beneficial and i think it has been beneficial i i would say your your interviews a row i would even say like this interview with nathan it it really does like sort of crystallize the positions for the left and yes everyone can get mad or irritated with you know, the opposing position and, and like, you know, kind of grumble, but it does serve its purpose. And I think that it is a valid purpose that people should be cheering and not, and just giving you a little bit of grace on it. And I think that you're right to keep it, which is the reason why I also supported you staying at the Hill too. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I was literally thinking as I did this interview, well, when I, you know, I, I, I like Nathan as much as I disagreed with him. Yeah. I liked him and I thought this is per- like as the interview was going, I said, oh, this is perfect. This is going to be an interview. I want people to be able to send to their aunt yeah. who has a Ukraine flag emoji in their bio 
and who ordinarily can really not countenance any kind of Aaron Mate style arguments. I'm going to be proto Aaron Mate talking to a friend, <laughs> you know, we'll have mutual respect for. And I was, I was, I had a certain, I have a literal person in mind, like a friend's family member thinking, I want my friend to be able to send this video to her. Yeah. I think, I think it's a, I think it's an important role. And I think that you do very well keeping your eye on the ball. Um, even though you get some blowback for doing that. So thank well, you. I, look, I appreciate that. I appreciate your support. And those of you in the comments who are saying that apparently there's a daily beast ar- article about how I'm out. Hey, send it to me. Let me know where I can find it. Cause I Googled it real quick and I, I didn't see it and it's news to me. LOL. <laughs> oh, interesting. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank uh, you. Marie. You have a good night. Get to the rest of your callers. Thank you. Appreciate you. Keep the faith, Shelly. Grace. Long time to chat. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? What? I'm doing very well. Thank you. What's on your mind tonight? Well, I drove through DC today. I saw you guys had a really beautiful cotton candy sunset. Right? Um, I don't know if you caught it. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, just through my window, I'm a hermit, <laughs> but yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I loved uh, I loved this episode, and um, I I especially loved the the Van Gogh protest. Like, I feel like it should just become a model for us all. Mm-hmm. Um, you had me rolling too when you were talking about you wish that there was no glass, um, but. <laughs> I really feel like the fact that two people, you know, I mean, that's a measure of an effective protest in my opinion, you know, two people, it went that far. And the fact that people are so mad about it only shows how much more effective it actually was. Um, Yeah. I mean, think about the social contract we have where, (laughs) like, if you really think about it, okay, these museums, which if I had one critique of the, of the soup thing, it's that many people said, oh, this is, there's no point to this. Why are they distant on Van Gogh? Van Gogh never did anything. He died poor. It's not his fault. Art is beautiful. Don't be an intellectual. Okay. They could have gotten past a lot of that if they made it clear that the protest was tethered to the fact that the, the BP funds so many of the British museums. And this, you know, so I think that they could have made that, that clearer. But just think of the social contract of there are these institutions that are funded by millionaires and billionaires, Sacklers and pharmaceutical heirs and like oil, oil moguls and Carnegie Mellon, like just everybody who's done everything horrible all the time. That's how they are so rich. And these places are maintained ostensibly for the public benefit. And I do think obviously that there's a public benefit, but also as a feather in the cap for the people who get to have their names on the institution, who get to lend their personal collection out. So everyone knows they privately own all of these incredible pieces of art and all of this. And we all, despite those same people causing us so much material harm in our everyday lives, walk around just like respecting it. <laughs> like there's no, there's no like exchange here. Like, okay, you, we, you know, we can have this, but also you have to give us a living wage. You got to stop, you stop, you know, all of your polluting or else. It's kind of fascinating when you think about the things that we feel like we can and cannot do, the property we can and cannot respect because of reasons, indoctrination. 
Yeah, it's very strange um, that people would go so far with it, too. Um, I mean, and I wonder if that's really just, you know, a Twitter thing, like, that everyone's trying to have the hot take or whatever um, and just jump on the bandwagon, you know? That's kind of... I hesitate, like, with Twitter in general just because sometimes it feels like people just feel like they have to say something just because, um, you know, or whether they actually think that... It's just, I just, it's hard to think that you could lose any sleep over that, especially when you look, you know, nuclear wars on the table, for example, or, you know, the destruction of the whole planet. And, um, I mean, I think that, I think the idea though of engaging with whether or not the protesters are doing it right or not is almost, um, like a moot point because what protests, you know, was anyone like has anyone ever been like, we loved it. That was perfect. Or else we didn't notice it. I thought for a minute, Nathan was saying that they should have gone over to the plaque, like to the BP plaque, not that they, and I was like, well, if they did that, you know, no one would have ever known they even did that. Like (laughs) that would have never showed up anywhere. Um, and so I'm just really tired of, of that being, you know, part of it. And I mean, I think with the AOC thing, it kind of matters. Maybe it kind of matters who the, I don't know. It doesn't matter to me who the protesters were, but I could see that mattering to her if theoretically she knew who they were from the gate. I don't Um, think she did. But but why would she? she Right. Why would she know? And then, um, you know, I mean, and who else are we supposed to hold accountable? Like, wouldn't we hold the people accountable who we think would hold our point of view? And, but I don't, I don't think that they use the right arguments in my opinion, but you know, again, that's, you know, that's not how protest works. They can do how they want. But I mean, I think, you know, talking about the, you know, she's always talking about the environment, the green new deal, blah, blah, blah. So why don't we talk about the environmental impact? You know, the, the U S military is the world's largest polluter, you know, we're just finding these endless weapons that are destroying our planet. I mean, I think there's another way you could have framed, um, framed that argument. And obviously like, like we need another interventionist war right now. Um, but I think that they, you know, I think that those guys were, um, you know, whoever, wherever they came from, I'm glad somebody brought it up. I mean, I'm just very concerned that there doesn't seem to be any anti-war sentiment. And then you're going to put us in a position where, like you've been pointing out, if the right is the only, um, if the right is the only one who's, who's calling out the war, then that puts me in an awkward position, you know, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I'm not really sure where, you know, where that is right now. I've been having, um, the conversations with people about it, you know, um, because these Ukraine, I mean, I live in a, you know, little liberal bubble or whatever, and the Ukraine flags are everywhere. Um, but it's really hard to engage, even engage in conversation when there's almost, there's really not any media, um, you know, Did I lose you? Grace? I heard you say there's not any media and then you you clicked out. Back or no. no? Okay, wait, I heard you say back or no. Grace? We still can't hear you. 
Grace, it looks like you're in a um a dead zone. I heard you say, is this there maybe? But it was like glitchy still too. That's Hello? Okay. All right. Okay. Well, I, I appreciate you calling in, Grace. Uh, as always, you make excellent points. And, you know, what I was just going to say to your last point is, you know, imagine a world where AOC said, I disagree with the protesters' approach. I would have been happy to take their question, but I think that their sentiments are legitimate. And there has been a disappointing lack of pushback and the term, you know, kind of anti-interventionist pushback from the left. And I am responsible for that in part. And I agree that we need to put more conditions at the very least on our aid to Ukraine. I think it's an abomination that the state department has basically said that we, there should be no negotiation with the Kremlin that is irresponsible to the people uh, in the Eastern regions of Ukraine, who are the ones that have to bear the brunt of this conflict, the U S has every interest in extending to do regime change in Russia as opposed to securing the best interests of the people of Ukraine. And I, you know, I, I plan to be more vocal on that going forward. I mean, there's a way where you can take the wind out of somebody's sails. If it truly is just an under an, an oversight and then they meant to say more, okay, then, then own everybody by just saying, saying the thing. But of course, like it's not an accident that they've been so silent. I mean, Bernie's not stupid. Whatever you might think about all these other squad members and how woke they are and how good their po political instincts are. I mean, I meant woke in a good way, like hip, hip, hip to what they should be saying, hip to the critiques of the left. Um, Bernie knows better. You know, Bernie knows. Bernie knows. And choices are being made. Not to, not to not to poke this particular bear. And that's, I think, the scariest thing of all. Okay, Pierre, what's on your mind? Hi, Bree. Hey, Pierre. Hey. What, what are you thinking about this evening? Well, I think, you know, there are good arguments on both sides about whether to arm or Ukraine or not and, you know, what conditions should be placed on there. And I think, you know, when people who disagree with arming Ukraine when they're called, like, puppets or you know, propagandists. I think that's all BS. So I totally agree with that. But I, I do think that I, I just want to maybe point out that there's some kind of unfair characterizations that are leveled at against AOC and like other people who vote to arm Ukraine. Mm -hmm. um, they're often like, I think they're called like pro-war or, you know, starting war or, you know, warmonger and stuff like that. But the thing is, is like, not arming Ukraine is not being anti-war because if you don't arm Ukraine, that doesn't mean there's peace. It means that there's war that goes in a different direction, but that doesn't result in peace. Um, and so I wish they would just be honest, like Aaron and others. I wish you would be honest in saying like, okay, we don't want to arm Ukraine and that's, and as a result, maybe Ukraine might be militarily occupied. Um, and we view that as better than any type of undetermined percentage chance increase in escalation that might lead to nuclear war. Like, just admit that that's your cost-benefit analysis. But don't start saying that, like, oh, if you're voting for aid, that's um, pro-war. 
I mean, war is there no matter what we're doing or not. You could say it's anti-interventionist to not go for aid, but that's different. And so I think that that rhetoric needs to be toned down on both sides and they need to actually be honest about like what they want that trade-off to be. I mean, I think it's perfectly fair to say, well, at first I would say, I do think that someone like Aaron, as opposed to these protesters, do tend to be more careful with their language and say things like, you know, it's a, it's a pro, you know, it's effectively pro-interventionist. They're pro-interventionist as opposed to pro where I could be wrong. Maybe he has, maybe that, maybe there's some slippage there. It is difficult for certain, I'm trying to evaluate why I don't have a problem with the idea of protesters saying, you know, that they're pro-war. I think that there's rhetorically value in a maximalist argument, especially because, as we kind of walked through earlier, if the effect is a kind of a nuclear escalation, then it's hard to overstate that. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, but we but they keep saying sounding like it's this inevitability when yes, there's some uncertainty there and that's what they're trying to make people aware of, but they keep saying, well, if you aid them, this will result in nuclear war. And that's just well, a complete simple oversimplification. Like I don't know. I, I like don't for example, was... Putin has made threats in the past. I uh-huh. mean, we've been for example, we've been if the definition of a proxy war is arming Ukraine while they're in a state of war with Russia, we've been doing that since 2017. I don't think anybody will argue with you yeah. that the proxy war has been going on for a long time. So, yeah, I guess that's just what I'm kind of frustrated about when I see that. Um, it's just, I understand that, like, when you're trying to advocate something, you want to have simplification of, of slogans, but I just wish, like, Aaron and others would just lay out like, okay, what do you want to see? You want to, you'd rather see, because if we withdraw aid, you, Russia doesn't want to stop at the Eastern provinces. They want, they, if like, if we drop aid, that doesn't end up like Russia's like, okay, let's stay where we are. No, if we drop aid, they're going to invade the rest of the country and military occupy it. Just say it. And like, if, yeah, if you're like a, is, an advocate. Is, yeah. is, is that true? That they want to go past uh, the eastern provinces. Yeah. What? What? What are you basing that on? I'm not trying to be provocative. I'm just actually asking. Well, I mean, I don't. I don't recall. They went further. Speeches or saying anything about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they went fur- further west, and then there was a counteroffensive that pushed them back. Um, I don't know how far west they actually got, but they did get further west. I think. I don't. Honestly, I don't have precise um you know figure, yeah, look, but. i i do think of all the people i wouldn't say this of everybody but of all the people that i've i've listened to make arguments over the last six months or so i feel like aaron has been pretty consistently measured and specific about what he thinks should be done differently he talks about basically how people should have they should, you know we should have enforced the minx accords and that there was a diplomatic solution that was kind of laid out that got unwound and kind of sabotaged by the West. You know, it does seem to me, and again, this isn't my issue area, but it does seem to me when I listen to all of the takes out there, that Aaron seems to be the mo- like much more cohesive 
knowledgeable and thought out than the kind of stuff that I hear from the quote unquote other side, which is just like vibes. You know, we have to fund the war in Ukraine because Putin is a madman Mm -hmm. and Putin did an invasion and invasions are wrong. No argument there. Invasions are wrong. But therefore, because invasions are wrong, we, America, not Ukraine, a different country altogether, should be spending $80 billion in aid that is not tied to any peace process. Yeah, I totally agree that, like, there's ways that you can tie the aid or lobby the administration to do that. But, I mean, we don't really know all the back channels that are going on right now, and I think that that should be kept in mind. I understand Okay, that, but like, the State Department doesn't have to open its mouth. Right. Like, no one told Anthony Blinken to open his mouth and say no no negotiation. Let me find this. Let me find the actual words because I'm no. tired of misrepresenting this. I don't want to be, like, doing uh, misinformation. But to be, you all know the article I'm talking about and the reporting that I'm talking about. I mean... I guess there are some quotes here and there, but I just don't see how that's equivalent to like a, I mean, we're arming them. It's not like we have military. I, I don't know. I think that's a little different, but I looked up an, an Aaron tweet. He says mm-hmm. AOC accuses her anti-war protesters of blah, 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 blah. But they're not anti-war protesters. They're anti-intervening in Ukraine. If the war is there. <laughs> so if, if their argument is we don't want to be involved in that war and then let Ukraine be bowled over by Russia to take over more of the country, then okay. But I just think that that's a, a weird framing in my mind. Well, and it's kind of oversimplification. Isn't the argument that on some level Ukraine would have been basically forced the negotiating table a lot earlier if it hadn't been given basically a blank check to fight a war indefinitely against a larger, richer. Well, that is one way, but the other way of thinking of it that I don't think is given a lot of attention is if we hadn't aided them, like they're only considering going to the, why would Russia go to the bargaining table if they knew they could conquer the whole of the country? Why doesn't, why doesn't, Let's 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 play it out. Why doesn't Russia and why hasn't Russia for the last, you know, 50 years or whatever since the end of the Cold War invaded any number of people? Why doesn't Russia invade uh, Finland? Why doesn't Russia invade Mongolia? Why, you know, why doesn't Russia invade Pakistan. Uh huh. Well, I mean, Ukraine is directly on its border, and it's not in NATO. So yeah, it, I was trying to find borders, border yeah. countries. I don't know. I'm Finland like, wasn't NATO. The most visual so, person. But there's certain historical revanchist uh, views that they have, and I understand that NATO expansion is, at the very least, a pretext, if not a, di- a direct, um, uh, you know, contextualization of of why he's doing it. But I just don't see how like you could say that he would not go further if Ukraine was like weaker. If Ukraine's weaker, then I don't see how he would hold at the Eastern provinces. Like I said, this is all like cost benefit. I totally agree that like 
we might want to just say, hey, Ukraine, good luck to you. We don't want to increase the risk of escalation by any percent. I get that. But they should be honest or more transparent when that's what, you know, they're journalists. They want to, they should frame it in a way that's very clear. And everyone should, not just say That's funny because that is definitely my takeaway. I, I, I don't. I don't hear Aaron and think, oh, he thinks that when we stop funding Ukraine, like flowers are going to spring up out of the ground and there's going to be peace in Ukraine. I mean, his critique mostly, at least from the first few months of this, was aimed at getting people to understand that there are years of U.S. involvement, Western involvement that precipitated the conflict, that there were many off ramps to this conflict that we only like not only weren't taken, but which the West intentionally obstructed. And that, therefore, to frame this as something that's purely the result of, like, the singular act of a madman named Putin just met, re- misrepresents the trajectory of how we got here. And it's not to absolve responsibility for the but-for of Russia choosing to invade, but to understand that because there were so many off-ramps to get here, we should be circumspect about our involvement and in our um, – our interest in the conflict that we obviously instigated for some, for, for reasons. Yeah. Well, I I agree that there's a bunch of lead up discourse that you can have and analyzing like, you know, Mearsheimer does and whatnot, but I'm talking about like either or now. So like either we aid Ukraine, whether there's strings attached or not in order to get to some, negotiate settlement or we don't arm him and they take over the country. Like, I think that that's not something he lays out when he says something's anti-war or pro-war. Well, I I mean, I guess if you think of it as part of, of of the war of all of it as one big long thing and including from before the invasion, then it almost feels like it feels on some level. I think that the, the, I don't know what to call it. The kind of state department argument, if you will, is, you know, well, we, we got, we, we started it. So we have to finish it. We, we did all this bad shit. Mm-hmm. We instigated, we betrayed our promises about NATO expansion, but now that there's a fight, you got to, you've got to basically, um, uh, you know, you can't, you can't change horses in midstream validate all of my bad choices by giving me money now. Like I've put you in this bad situation and now you're stuck with me. So give me the money. It feels like a holdup. That's what it feels like. But I mean, that's basically saying that if we provoke them to invade, then that means we can't. So we have to be like, okay, well that's what we cause. So let them do, let them. But but that's the thing. It's like, like, think about how fucked up this is. Let's, let's not talk about what we should do for a second, but just think about how fucked up the posture of this is. The United States instigates a country that cannot defend itself alone into a conflict with a much more powerful country, at which point it turns around and says, oh, now we have to get involved. And if you don't want to get involved, America and Americans, you just don't care about Ukrainians. You know, well, but we it's, were, a, it's a we hostage were, situation. Well, no, but we were aiding them, you know, after Crimea was overtaken um, and then also, I think that, um, yeah, so we were, we were over, we were aiding them from then and we were giving assurances or we were basically repeatedly denying Ukraine's entry into NATO. I don't think there was any evidence that we were like on the verge of granting NATO, uh, granting entry to Ukraine to NATO. 
Was there? I... No, there is. And, and we, you there should is? go back and listen to oh. the. Yes, this is this is this is Aaron's <laughs> whole. Sh- this is this is his whole trajectory that he lays out about all of these provo- provocations that happened. There are all of the maps about NATO expansion as and how you, know, you can see it over like ten year periods. How how the 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 border has pushed and pushed and pushed east over time. There were all of these statements. George Bush made a statement back in like I don't know when two 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 thousand eight I think that he had to walk back about NATO being uh, sorry about Ukraine joining NATO. NATO they just filed for membership. Who knows what's going to happen with that? But there's all this performative stuff that's going on that is provocative to say the least. Mm-hmm. And if, if America wanted a clean hands argument about how it was all Putin's fault, it knows how it could have done that. But it, even if you think that Putin was looking for an excuse to invade yeah. because they're a bad actor, yeah, why give them the excuse? Why give them the cover? Excuse me. Why? Unless, like, at, at a certain point, I'm trying to, I'm like, I'm like halfway through to this analogy and not landing it very well, and I can hear myself doing that. Uh-huh. But it's like, it's like if I, um, you know, if I, like, if I really wanted you to, uh you know, go in with, go in with me on something. Exp- Let's say I really wanted you to like go in with me on like an expensive blow dryer. And you're like, no, I don't, I don't want it. Like I don't have the money. I can't afford it. And I, I like pull you into a swimming pool with me. Uh-huh. <laughs> like an, a, 10 minutes before some event we're supposed to go to. And like, basically like, I'm like, ha ha. Now you have wet hair. You have to buy this blow dryer with me. And it's like on some level, it's like, fine, fuck it. Like, I need to look good for this event. I'll go in on you with you on this blow dryer. But there's a part of you that like, doesn't want to reward the bad behavior. Mm-hmm. And it says, like, okay, it's a sunk cost. We're just going to go in here looking like sunk, like, like drowned rats. But I don't want to validate your heist here or encourage you to do heists like this in the future. Because it was only because of your bad behavior that we got into this. And again, like, I don't want this to be like, this is obviously a gross oversimplification, and I'm not trying to minimize that Russia obviously ultimately invaded. But depending on how much you weight the preamble that Aaron does such a good job and the Gray Zone folks do such a good job of articulating, I, I, it's difficult for me to, and I think it's difficult for a lot of people, to just look at the current conflict without taking into account. Like, the story of... I fell into a pool and had to split a blow dryer. It's such a different story than I was pushed in a pool and coerced into buying something I couldn't afford. That it, it, it just, it does, it just, it's a completely different tale. Yeah. Uh, well, but I'm, you know, I'm reading an article here. It said that NATO, Ukraine movement to NATO stalled in 2008. Um, and if you take that at face value, as the reason, then you have to also take at face value their other reasons, which have nothing to do with NATO. So you can't say, well, it was because of NATO in because you no, said there's that. a lot of reasons. And Aaron doesn't yeah. say it. Aaron doesn't walk around saying that's the only reason. Okay. So it's I don't think it's I mean, I don't think you can put a majority you know, I, I don't know. I mean I'm not saying oh, so it's, it's not zero. Aaron. We ha- we gotta stop this like look Former U.S. ambassador to the Soviet Union, Jack Matlock, quote, if Ukraine had been willing to abide by the Minsk agreement, recognize the Donbass as an autonomous entity within Ukraine, avoid NATO military advisors and pledge not to enter NATO, war would probably have been prevented. Like, okay. there, there is a lot of consensus 
from very knowledgeable people who were in the rooms when these agreements were being made about what happened here. And it does at some point start to feel like gaslighting that we have to go go round and round and round on this. If you just want to arm Ukraine because you think Ukrainians deserve to be armed and that any cost necessary, like y'all just got to own that and just make that argument. But it is not a consistent argument. It is yeah. not an argument that justifies our non-involvement everywhere else in the world where lives are being lost. And it's an argument that completely ignores the skepticism that we maybe should have about why we not only precipitated this, but what we have to earn uh, gain from being, well, not we, but what the blob has to gain from being involved right now. The preamble uh-huh. creates a skepticism about our involvement that I think is healthy and good. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, well, but I, I have to I have to push on because the queue is so long. But I appreciate you calling in. Okay. So, well, one, one last thing. Can I just add one last thing? Zelensky earlier on in March did take NATO expansion off the table, and they still went and proceeded to to invade or you know push further. So I just want to add that too. So that was another attempt to stave off um, Russian aggression. But anyways, okay. Thank you. Uh, okay. I mean, they just. Here, I'll pull it up. They literally just like last week submitted an application to join NATO. Ukraine, well, yeah, after, after Russia annexed those four provinces. Yeah. I mean, once Russia escalates, you know, Russia escalates. So, yeah, I mean, there's you know, United States escalates. And then so sometimes I'll ask, like, well, what about what Russia does? And they're like, well, we are part of the United States. We can only affect what the United States does. And that's true for political activists. But if you're a journalist, you kind of have to incorporate what other parties do and how we react to their actions. So it's not just them reacting to us. Right, but like, I, I really have to go up here, but like okay. literally no one is ever not saying that Russia invaded Ukraine. We all have to put a hair shirt on and, and like whip ourselves ritualistically and say that at least four times in every paragraph or else we're accused of being Putin puppets. Russia invaded, no, unlawful no. invasion, inappropriate invasion. Like we all say that nonstop. No one's denying that reality. The only thing that's being denied is Western, the West's role. Okay. And that's why I get the emphasis. And if all people right, want us to stop call. emphasizing that, they should, they should acknowledge it and then we could all move on. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you, Pierre. Okay, I thanks. appreciate you calling in. Okay. Bye. Cue the vape. Gabrielle, what's on your mind tonight? Hello. Um, yeah, just uh, want to reiterate, reiterate one thing that you said to Nathan, and I think that was like the first question that you said was, is it possible to keep sending weapons to uh, Ukraine while expecting like a ceasefire? And uh, Nathan said yes, but by definition, that's crazy. And, and Russia would never accept <laughs> a ceasefire while we are still harming Ukraine. And that's that's what I don't understand. There's nobody on the political spectrum right now just tr- making that point, basically, uh, and saying that, no, we just, we have to stop arming Ukraine. Like, and also there's a lot of red lines here. Like, for instance, Ukraine is the only uh, country with a, a Nazi military unit. Like, I mean, we, <laughs> we have no business uh, helping them out right now. Just, we. I don't know if you follow me, or no. I I follow you. I, okay. I I look. I am open to whatever the argument is for why Ukraine 
and how the money is going to be well spent and calculated toward the outcome. I mean, even that is so gross. Like the idea that, that like, okay, we'll give you arms, but only if it's tethered to doing what the United States wants you to do is already a kind of world building that I'm uncomfortable with. But I, I don't, I also don't know how to get around the, well, should everyone just be allowed to do whatever they want and chips fall where they may and it's none of my business and we're isolationists? I, I, I don't know. But, but I want to hear people having that conversation and articulate a theory of intervention, if you will. A left, what is the left theory of intervention? Yeah, to me. But, like, but, not, but not whatever this conversation is that we've been having. Okay, but, okay, but do you think, but the thing is, the problem that I see here is that on the political left, like, I mean, elected officials, there's nobody calling to stop arming Ukraine. That, that's insane. Like, I've never yeah. seen that. <laughs> like, in the Vietnam War, uh, when he wars, like, the, there was some momentum to just, to, to create peace. No, to, but that's not what's happening here. Like, it, there's something very wrong. Like, I don't understand what's, like, it's, we, we live, like, in a Gable-esque era. Like, everybody's is, uh, brainwashed to some extent. Like, I, you know, yeah, it, that's not normal. That's not... <laughs> yeah. The, the argument that you hear is, well, if it will, if they want peace, Russia should just stop doing an invasion. And it's like Katie, Katie used to make this great point. Um, I mean, she still does, but earlier in the conflict, she had this guest on and she used to say this a lot. Um, you know, the, you know, the, Wars end only in one way, and that's diplomacy. The only question is, like, how many people die before it happens? And it is, it is, it is weird. It is this weird posture where it's like people say, oh, Putin's a madman. They did this with Trump, too. Katie said this. They did this with Trump. Trump's a madman. Putin's a madman. These people are unpredictable and crazy. It's a horse in a hospital. And then they'll also be like, well, if you wanted uh, the war to stop, you got to get the madman to just, he's just got to stop being mad. You know, like he did the bad thing. So all that's left for us to do is cross our arms and wait for him to apologize. It's like the weird pushback you get whenever you bring up wanting to push for peace goals. But that, yeah, that's crazy. Like Putin is, <laughs> he's actually doing like a decent job in terms of, uh, protecting his own economy and uh, like i don't know how how you can tell that this guy is crazy i mean he has the support of his people in the most part uh, i mean probably don't agree with invading so far like that much territory in ukraine but i mean they never expected so much weapon from the west yeah i guess he should have just stayed in the Damas and crimea but i mean he's not behaving irrationally like that's not <laughs> To me, that's very like I'm a former military member, and I would have invaded that country way, way, way earlier than this that he did. Like that's not when you have like your own people getting on the on the uh, Ukraine side. I mean, Russian citizens in Ukraine getting shelled for eight years. Uh, you can't just let that let this thing go. I mean, that's kind of crazy. Anyways, I, I just. I don't understand that so many people think that Putin is crazy. And I don't understand also the idea that Putin wants to 
maybe become Hitler and invade all Europe. That's completely crazy. Like because we know since the downfall of the USSR that the Soviets had no intention of invading Europe. They were just obsessed by maintaining their uh, their own uh, empire. I mean, the USSR itself. They had no vision of colonizing uh, Europe. So um, I don't know. It's just I don't. I really don't understand how people can how the idea that Putin is crazy and that he wants to invade Europe is such mainstream. It makes no sense. Historically speaking, it doesn't. And he's behaving in a very rational way, like I said. Yeah. I mean, look, I'll, I'll leave the details to the, to the experts, but I do remember there was one point where there was like a Putin speech that everyone was translating as having um, basically an articulation of his desire to do this you know, European colonial project. And then a bunch of other people who spoke Russian were like, no, I, like that was just a line that all the media was carrying and that it was basically representing whatever it was he said, but it was easy to do because we were all relying on the same kind of translators as it were. And I, so I don't, I don't, I don't know what to believe, but I do know that it is completely inconsistent to say that there's a party who's an irrational actor and that instead of like treating them with the kind of kid gloves and like, you know, psychological approach that you would with someone who was actually crazy actually mentally ill you are just saying well i'm going to sit back and wait for the mentally ill person to make a lot of sense here and that it's all on them you know and that that is a thing that they did with trump and that's the things that they're they're doing with i just it doesn't make any sense um (laughs) so i I appreciate you calling in gabriel okay keep the faith gary i feel like you've been in the queue a lot and we haven't gotten to you so i'm glad i'm talking to you today Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. Hey, Abby, no, Ooh, you are very quiet, Gary. Oh, really? You were like, like it's like, it's like you chewed gum an hour ago, and I can smell the whiff of spearmint. That's how faint you are. Can you hear me now? Oh, yes, loud and clear. Okay. <laughs> oh, spectacular. Sorry about that. Okay, so first, let me start by you know saying obviously it's important that. Um, people in the quote-unquote left, whatever that means, be held accountable for the lack of principles. But with Nathan, I'm, I'm not sure if he's he's the, the right tree to kind of bark up when it comes to principles. Um, I see him as kind of an agent of, of divide and conquer. I remember when, he, wasn't he the one who criticized Crystal Ball for quote-unquote platforming Sagar mm-hmm. on Rising? Like literally probably one of the most ridiculous political takes of all time when it comes to political media and i'm just like well what does a guy like this represent in the space is he just a guy who's just here to sort of stir things up have bad takes kind of you know pretend to be a leftist but kind of sheepdog them into into like i said into bad perspectives like not talking to saga as somehow a progressive and positive um policy so like i said i i'm not sure if he's coming from it like coming at it in good faith and to be quite honest with you um to go to the Tulsi Gabbard of it all and what she represents in this conversation being literally the single most principled person when it comes to warfare in the Democratic Party for the last you know however long she's kind of ever since she kind of 
literally poked the Democratic establishment in the eye and, and kind of chose Bernie Sanders. She's probably been the most p- principled person on that side on this issue. And I don't, I don't think I've heard or since then a single good faith argument about what's wrong with Tulsi Gabbard. It seems like there's been, and I think that's obviously related to this issue. When you talk about Tulsi Gabbard, you talk about somebody who is not only principled and consistent, but also has the the bona fides of somebody who served and so has that perspective of somebody who's been on the inside, which is very different and from some perspectives a lot more legitimate than, you know, the more, you know, but I know you wanted to say something. Well, no, I just, look, I, like I said, when Jank asked me, I don't follow Tulsi's career. I haven't. I, she came on the radar for endorsing Bernie. I liked when people endorsed Bernie and she showed courage in stepping down from the DNC. I don't want to minimize that in the least. But then she disappeared off of my radar again. I didn't make, she wasn't, I never saw her as someone who was going to be like the great left hope of the Democratic Party because she wasn't, or, or the left, because she obviously wasn't framing herself that way. So, I, you know, some of the things that came up here and there, I didn't care. I didn't pay attention. Now, I have seen lots of folks, I think, give a lot of credible reasons why they're skeptical of Tulsi Gabbard. I think she has been inconsistent on her anti-war stances. I've seen people characterize her as supporting intervention in Africa and other parts of the world, that she kind of picks or chooses the conflicts that she doesn't want to be involved in. Her ongoing um, uh, reserve status in the military has been pointed to as kind of inconsistent with her professed lack of support for intervention as she disappears off the grid for months at a time to do AFRICOM, whatever she's doing on the continent. Like I, you know, people have pointed to, um, you know, AOC even pointed to the fact that she's voted for increases in military spending and where AOC has not. You know, like she's right now, she's campaigning for someone who is a war hawk, a Republican. So I think all of that is very legitimate criticism of Tulsi, even as it is also true that with all of those flaws, she still manages to be to the left of many people in the Democratic Party. Yeah, and the the funny thing is, it's not necessarily that she's been to the left. I think the most important thing about Tulsi that people kind of don't really recognize and and I think this is why there's so much confusion around her is that she's never she's never engaged in a branding exercise. And I think that's what kind of leaves people sort of, you know, perplexed about it. She's never branded herself anyway. And so she always never had a click. She never had a brand. She never had a cult because there was nothing really to hook the hook onto. She was just a very principled person who didn't want regime change wars. And could tell the truth about whether about when we were being lied about. I think she, I don't know if she was ahead of Aaron Mate on this, being skeptical about you know um, those gas attacks in Syria, but it's like she's the type of person you need in Congress when the entire Democratic Party is willing to go along with a lie. You have one person who's like you know cast as a, a, a demon for just being like, wait, hold on for a second. Because I think that's when that's when you're courageous. Being courageous is not necessarily saying, you know, trying to get a whole clique of people to say something that's popular online. The courageous thing is when 
you say something that makes everyone call you a conspiracy theorist. That's what comes. And I think it's completely fair to say that you think the Tulsi's right on this issue and to use that as a way to bully the left into being righter on this issue. But I I also think that it's, I don't, I wouldn't go so far. Like, I, I, it is, I think it is dangerous to say that because someone is right on something that they are consistent, good, or acting in bad faith. And I, again, I'm not saying that I know enough really about Tulsi to say that she is like a bad faith actor flat out. But it's like with Mar- my Marjorie Taylor Greene point about the FBI, like to be really, really clear, Marjorie Taylor Greene was right about how the FBI sucks. That's as the, the full sum total of things that I agree with Marjorie Taylor Greene about. And I think that you can accept Tulsi being right on this and even think that she is brave to be right on this, just as I think that she was brave to step down from the DNC and endorse Bernie Sanders without falling into the trap of thinking that, well, you know, one should vote for Tulsi for president or whatever else she might be doing next because her behavior right now in stumping for someone who is virulently pro-war, pro-increasing the military budget, pro-intervention, indicates that her principles only go so far. You know? I mean, like I said, I, I'm not exactly sure what the guts of those bills are. I'm sure, obviously, as somebody who's been on the inside, when she sees a bill about military funding she thinks about her brothers and sisters i'm not going to really try to get behind her motivations on that um, like i said i'm sure she has motivations and if we I, if i were to sit down if you were to sit down and talk to her about those motivations i'm sure she could break it down for you in her you know very kind of consistent robotic um tone that she has but um so i i think i i, I think that's the interview you should have because I think you will be able to learn a lot about her, and I think you'd be able you'd come away from it thinking this is the best woman we have in con in in, in go- well not in government anymore. And like I said, the story of the smearing and destruction of Tulsi Gabbard was a cautionary tale about people who were willing to go out on a line and in a way that, like for example, with a squad kind of getting into the guts of the Syria issue, that was a Syria. Right, but, but you, you you can't. I'm sorry, but the world has more than one issue in it. So, like, I'm not going to say I love AOC, I want AOC to be president because we agree on Medicare for all. And I'm also not going to say Tulsi is the best thing that we've got in politics because she's right on Ukraine funding. Like, that cannot be how it works. Just like we spent the last two hours critiquing AOC, we absolutely should critique Tulsi Gabbard for stumping with this bulldog guy who is a... Warhawk. Tulsi, who is not in fact in Congress, is working to make one of the only 50 senators that we have who actually has a vote on Ukraine funding yeah. in Congress. Like she is putting someone in Congress who has the power to vote where she only has the power to say words online or on Fox News or whatever. And that that matters too. And so I guess I'm a little confused because it does feel like there's more credibility being given. Like, I, I'm not interested in bashing Tulsi right now. Like, I don't care. Like, I have no interest in doing that. But I don't think it's fair to be lighter on Tulsi than we are on AOC in this moment. You know, Tulsi being right on this one issue does not give her a free pass any more than AOC, let's say, doing the right thing and trying to speak out about the bifurcation of the Build Back Better bill was a good and right thing, and she was good and right about that. 
that doesn't absolve her from all other criticism in the world. Just like, you know, her, Tulsi being right about this doesn't absolve her, you know? Yeah, like I said, we, we have to take the wins where we can get them. Um, mm-hmm. I need to learn more about who this person in the Tulsi stumping for is because I'll be, I'll be, I'd actually be very disappointed if she's both if she's pushing somebody who's going to be pushing the Ukrainian, um, Michigas. I'd be, I'd be surprised and, 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 and very concerned if she was doing that because I do, her brand to me is just being super principled on non interventionism and the Constitution. That's her brand to me. She's not left, right, center. She's just very principled. And so if she's doing something that goes against that. I think the issue, and and people should, people who know more about Tulsi should weigh in in the comments or if you come up to bat here. Uh, But the, the, the argument that I've seen is that she has not, in fact, been principled on this, that she has taken some principled stands for which she should get credit. But in between those stands, has not been principled in a way that gives people um, uh, skepticism. Oh, that's understood. Yeah, okay. That's it'd, be, it'd be interesting to, to sort of look into that. Um, but okay, another thing about kind of coa, like building a coalition on quote unquote the left um, between like the working class and the PMC class um, along ideals. I, I like I I love the the idea of this, but I don't like I, I'm almost super concerned because I'm you know I'm I'm in different areas of the internet. I, I'm kind of like all over the place. I'm not just kind of in like one kind of left area. Mm. And there's like a lot of people in the working class that are still kind of you know reeling from from what the left has done to them over the last couple of years. So I'm just like, in order to, and, you know, I'll just kind of leave with that, but in order to kind of build a coalition that's going to actually get the left into political power, there's going to need to be a truth and reconciliation about the last couple of years and the impacts on the working class imposed on them by people who call themselves leftists. Because that that bridge was kind of was was damaged very significantly over the last couple of years, and I'm always beating that drum only because I know it's the biggest road stumbling block between like a building a coalition that's actually going to have power. There needs to be a truth and reconciliation. It's like otherwise there's not going to be a, an organized left that works that is kind of buttressed by the quote unquote working class. It just isn't going to happen. And I remember Michael Brook on his podcast, uh, literally like maybe a month or so before he passed, he was talking about being someone who brands himself as the working class and kind of having this introspective moment that was, I think is one of the most important moments in the history of me listening to kind of liberal YouTube. And Michael Brooks, like literally like shit lib, making fun of mocking people, being mean-spirited on Sam Cedar's show on his own show, when he kind of was kind of evolving beyond that nonsense, he was saying, we can't continue with this deplorable rhetoric and this divisive rhetoric and this dehumanizing rhetoric if these are the people that we continue to, to uh, say that we represent. And I'm just like, that's, what he just said was obvious, 
but he's literally like the only person I've ever heard who had that sort of introspective moment where he's just like, whoa, like we, we, we like wear a t-shirt all the time. I'm a leftist. I'm on the left, but we continuously mock and degrade the workers that are supposedly the like the people we're trying to build a coalition around. Either like you know, where what are we missing here? And every time I hear a left coalition talk about a left coalition, I think to myself, there's not going to be a left coalition until we address thousands of people being fired. Uh, in their minds unfairly. There's not going to be a left coalition when we praise some mass movements with the right politics and degrade and dehumanize other mass movements with the wrong politics when they're the same class of people. There's no coalition. Well, look, I think that it can be possible. So you're obviously talking about COVID. I mean, you're allowed to say that. <laughs> you're obviously talking about mandates and vac- vaccine mandates and mask mandates. Um, yeah. And I do think that, especially given some of the new reporting where there's like an admission that they knew that the COVID vaccines were never tested to uh, their ability to stop transmission was never even tested. And there were these representations, very firm representations from the Rachel Maddows and the Bidens and the CDCs of the world about how we had to get a shot to save other people, not just to protect yourself. And that was the hook for all of the mandates. And knowing that they knew from the jump that that wasn't the case is an incredible misrepresentation. And yes, it was very coercive to get people to get shots. I stayed silent on this stuff because I don't, you know, I didn't think it was my role to be weighing in on something that could have serious consequences for people when I am not a medical professional, was not privy to anything, and was trying to make sense of it like everybody else. But it does seem, you know, generally speaking, as a libertarian socialist, I don't like the idea of mandates. And my stance has always been, I hope everybody gets vaccinated, because that seems to be what's indicated. But I think that they should be figuring out more carrots rather than sticks to get people to do it. Now, I I completely agree that they're gonna there's gonna be have to be some kind of reckoning about all of the misrepresentations that have been made um, about the efficacy of vaccines and what was known and what was since discovered and what people are going to be doing about the booster schedule going forward. I, and I think that you know. It's a bit. It's a deep hole that folks have dug themselves into, um, and I'm not sure exactly how, whether if it's possible, frankly, for them to dig themselves out of it. But I, I take that point. Yeah, it's an. It's like literally an essential point because I love the fact that everyone calls your show is you know your show is the number one show in the in the universe right now, and everyone calls it. And I'm I'm listening every time, and I'm just like, they're, oh, they're talking about this leftist coalition. And me, I'm like probably the only person who calls into your show who's on the other side of this, the spectrum, who's like, um, you know, I'm on the, the other, like on that issue, which is probably like the number one. There's a reason why Kim Kim Iverson was getting a, like a milli plus on her videos. They're like, that's not an accident. I'm on that side of the internet, and that side of the internet has a lot of energy behind it. That's why I say what I say, because... That side of the, of the internet 
is very passionate and energetic and knowledgeable and you know they're having discussion serious discussions and that's the people that's a group of people that are there for the taking and it almost seems like the so so-called left for two years throwing them away I think we'd have to interrogate whether or not they're there for the taking because I think there it is interesting why that issue, as opposed to others, weren't similarly galvanizing. I do think there's something about the way that you know, the government talked down to people and was dismissive of people that got people feeling like they're heckles up and wanting to rally around this issue. But I also think that, like, you know, the, the government took away tests. The government took away child care. The government took away, you know, all of these supports that went out that were supposed to be helping people, that these same working class constituents. And there was no outroar, uproar about that sort of thing. And if if the policy prescription of the left is largely about what we can provide, somewhat about what we can protect you from in terms of, like, civil liberties, but largely about what we can affirmatively, affirmatively, affirmatively provide for the government – I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'd be interested to know how much of that energy can transfer toward these like positive prescriptions for social safety net changes and material changes, and how much of this is about just like a, a kind of grievance culture. Because grievance culture, even if it's legitimate, I don't mean that to, to say that people aren't right to be angry about stuff. But grievance culture has always been animating, but not necessarily productive. You know, there's a lot of anger in lots of different communities online, oftentimes rightly so. You'll get a lot of energy in, like, the ADOS part of the Internet and reparations Internet and, you know, Manosphere Internet and Gamer. I mean, there are a lot of things that people are mad at, but I don't think any of those have been really channeled into anything, like, politically productive. And I don't know – I would love to see people try. I'm not shutting that down at all. But I do – you know, it does seem to me to be a slightly different valence that comes from – feeling attacked as opposed to kind of wanting to come together for something prescriptive. But I, I got to move on down that aisle, but I appreciate you calling in, Gary. I have one more question. Gary, is it possible? Like, I'm looking at 24 callers, and all of you guys are, I got one more question type. So oh, no, it's literally like five seconds. Minutes. It's five, literally five seconds. Would, okay. would you date a guy who wasn't vaccinated? Yeah, I don't see. Yeah, it's none of my business. I mean, look, it does prevent transmission to a degree. Um, I guess I would want to know more about why he wasn't, why he, why he wasn't vaccinated. Like he never got, because it's one thing now to be saying "I told you so." It's another thing to have. Look, it wasn't right to have been mis- for them to misrepresent the efficacy of the vaccines, but at a time when it did seem very conclusory that the vaccines worked, to still not want to take one, I think it does. I don't know. I'd have to know more about what his thinking was at the time. Understood. Like, Understood. did he have, you know, access to some research that indicated that it wasn't actually going to prevent transmission, or was he kind of willfully indifferent to transmitting it to people? You know, that kind of I think makes a difference in terms of personality. Yeah. I don't know his ethics, I guess, or something like that. Nah, that that that, that makes sense. Yeah. All right, thanks. For All right, thanks for calling in, Gary. Thank you. Keep the faith. Uh, Lysol, what's in your mind? Hey, Bree, how's it going? I'm doing all right. What's in your mind? Well, uh, first of all, I really appreciated your follow-up COVID episode. felt very seen, and I look forward to uh, the um, long COVID episode you said you were thinking about doing later on, possibly. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad. Yeah, and I wasn't even really going to go into 
until the guy like right before we started talking about COVID. So I don't know where your head's at. Would you rather talk about geopolitics or COVID? Whatever's on your mind. This is your show. <laughs> okay. Uh, so for geopolitics, um, I liked how you, you, you framed it in comparison to world. Um, it's really more of a matter of you look at the big macro perspective, just, you know, a unipolar world isn't really stable and it was always going to go back to like spheres of influence. And all Russia wants to do is throw its weight around in its own neighborhood. It's the exact same thing China wants. I don't know Africa's policy, politics will have to know what country, country is doing that, but it's, you know, nobody's trying to become Hitler. Nobody thinks they can actually conquer the world. They're just trying to, you know, throw their weight around in their own neighborhood. I mean, I think that, I mean, that, that feels right. Again, I, I'm not in the business of making those kind of proclamations because I, I mean, I literally don't know. I, I'm not in the business of pretending like I know things, but I, all I'm asking is what is your, if you're, if someone is making a claim that Putin wants to dominate the world or Europe, or at least I just want someone to explain to me what the evidence for that is, you know? And I also, you know, if someone were being claimed that kind of like overly, um, confident about him not having any kind of goals of that nature i would also want to know why they think that that's all i'm just here to to ask people why they believe what they believe no totally i'm i'm sure you've noticed when they talk about the invasion they make sure to mention that it's a neighbor because that distinguishes mm -hmm. it from the countries we invade like they invaded a neighbor we would never do that to our two mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we need, need at least two thousand miles between us and the people we invade <laughs> yeah yeah for sure. Um, the, the on the protest front, it was it was interesting. You can tell something is getting traction when they find out who's going to come up with the conspiracy theory. Have you heard the Aileen Getty theory? No, what's that? So she's the the heiress of the Getty fortune. They're one of the oh the big, Aileen big Getty. Out. I thought you said Alien Getty. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> I've got I've got a I've got a sci-fi sound in here somewhere. Nope, that's not it. No, wait, no, I do it. I got this. I got this. I got this. Where is it? <laughs> <laughs> I've literally never seen it spelled A-I-L before, so I guess that, that's why. Okay. <laughs> but, but he's like an oil heiress who's funding a group that wants to stop oil. That just seems like somebody with a conscience. But they're like, they're already giving a big conspiracy theory about like, who's really yeah, I mean, Yeah, I saw that. And like... One, I just, like I said before, like, I kind of don't care. If it was an op, I think it was good anyway. So, like, miscalculation. But also, like, there is, for example, that Disney heiress who tried to give money to Bernie and he had to send it back because she's a billionaire, but she's, like, progressive. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a thing that can happen. People get money from their bad relatives and, you know, try to do good things with it occasionally. Very rarely. Yeah, I don't see. Yeah, I don't. I don't see some big conspiracy. It's just. It's kind of like you know. There's like steps one, two, and three when something starts getting traction like this, and it's like, I don't know. Part of the part of the the calculation, I, I believe, was to pick something that they knew a certain group of people would complain about, and those people walked right into it, and you know they ended up winning that confrontation. Yeah, yeah. All right. So you you think that that's not like there's no legitimacy legitimacy to the idea that it's an op. I haven't been following it that closely. Not really. I think it's just more kind of, I mean, you're always talking about like many paths and stuff and I'm definitely on that track. Like there's gotta be somebody on the outside doing that to force the people, the inside to be like, look, we got to actually deal with this. Yeah. And it's yeah. not.
Sorry, yeah, I, thanks for weighing in on that. I, I had seen it out the corner of my eye on Twitter, but you know how it is. Can't click on everything that you see on the feed. So uh, it's nice to hear. I mean, I don't know. We'll, we'll find out more, I guess, later. But it's nice. I had kind of just assumed the worst and tested my – I was like, let me t- test – test my response under the worst circumstances. And I decided I still liked the protest, even if it wasn't up. So have you heard of the teal party, the teal party, like the color? Yeah. No. What's that? They ran in the most recent Australian election, which um, climate change was one of the big issues because Australia was literally on fire while they were having the elections. Mm. And there's a group of conservative women that broke off from the conservative party and went went on a kind of like, let's agree where we can agree, but also fuck this climate change shit. And they pushed a lot of elections, either winning winning seats outright or tipping the scales towards uh, away from the conservatives and towards the liberals. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I don't know how to compare their media coverage with ours. I'm sure they I'm sure they spend less time coming up with reasons not to cover climate change than we do. Mm-hmm. But on the whole, it's just it's I'm I want to was Nicaragua. There was a country in South America where climate change was also one of the big issues on the ballot. And it's kind of like. It's, you know, it's coming whether they want it or not. I don't understand why they can't at least, you know, do like a Green New Reduction Act where it's like actually only spending like an eighth of what it says it's going to. And it also involves lots of fossil fuel subsidies and stuff like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I had a guest on the Hill last week who said we talk about climate change too much. He said that the news is, you know, it was, he's a very interesting guy. He's a climate scientist of some kind who doesn't deny global warming. But he got a lot of traction after um, he was interviewed. As, did you see that clip? He was interviewed by Don Lemon about the hurricane. And Don Lemon asked about whether climate change was causing there to be bigger and more hurricanes. And he says, you know, now's not the time to talk about that. Let's talk about hurricane devastation. You can't attribute any one hurricane to global warming, which is, you know, fair enough. But the – Right went crazy with this media clip saying, like, climate scientist owns Don Lemon, who tries to make everything about global warming and push a liberal agenda. And so we had him on the show, of course. And, <laughs> you know, he said that basically there are not that many deaths from climate change, and that number is getting smaller as we get better at mitigation techniques. Uh, only like a couple hundred people died of climate change. And also, we talk too much about climate change in the media. So, yeah. It was weird. And I was like, well, what about what 1,500 people just died in Pakistan? You don't call that like climate change death? Just that one event is like many times more than you say is a total number of people who die from climate change in a year. And it was like, oh, we're running out of time. So I don't know, man. It's The climate discourse is pretty bleak, which is why I say uh, more soup, soup good, good soup. <laughs> Things yeah. are calling in. I'm going to try to get through some of these callers. The color queue does not get shorter somehow. <laughs> God bless you guys. Keep the faith, Lysol. And Katie, I invited you uh, to be uh, a speaker, but you have to accept. I'm going to do it again. Go ahead, Mark. What's on your mind tonight? Hey, um, since everybody's talking about AOC, I wanted to call in a couple weeks ago, but I didn't have time about a different subject. Is that okay to bring it up? Sure. Okay. Yeah. It it was about – because, like, I was watching when you had RBN guys on. And I watched CJ's kind of response where kind of got on you a little bit about being part of the PMC. And I really started thinking about that, you know, just on the whole PMC versus working class thing. Like, like, I think there needs to be a conversation about who is working class 
And does all that even matter? Because like, I'm a college graduate. I have a degree in IT. I guess I would be considered like more closer to PMC than working class. But I have like a friend. Yeah. Okay. So I okay. So I PMC. Okay. But I have a friend who works in a in the steel mill, and he up until like this year was making almost twice as what I made. Like I I got a big. I got a big raise this year and it probably put me on his level. So, right. But I'm saying like, how is he, I'm saying like, what is the difference? Like, what is the point of that divide? And even if I was making a hundred thousand dollars more than him, would it matter? Because when you compare the difference between a couple hundred thousand versus these billionaires, it's pennies to them. Why are we trying to divide people based on, these amounts of money. And like I said, there are working class people who make more than PMC people. Yeah. So this, uh, my, my short tweet answer to this is the same sort of as my feeling about the LaRouche protesters, of the AOC event, which is it's perfectly good and useful to have uh, an analysis, a class analysis that takes into account that people from different kind of class positions have a different investment and different social outcomes and might be more or less satisfied with the status quo as a consequence. And that might lead you to have some skepticism about the views that certain people have, but that's completely legitimate and it's good to keep one eye open on those sorts of things. It is also true that it is as reductive as doing any other kind of identity politics. And at the end of the day, you know, it's not enough of an argument. So the guys are from LaRouche. Okay. Did they make a good point? That's all I really want to know about in this moment. Like I, the well, real pushiness of it may, 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 might make it so that I don't like <laughs> go to their cookout, <laughs> but it's not going to permit me from acknowledging if they make a good point. And the same, the, the thing I was saying to the, to CJ was, you know, you can't attribute to everything to the PMC, not to redu- be reductive about what he was arguing, but the conversation started with him saying, like, force the vote was good. It exposed people. And then to, it went on to say the PMC are bad. I was like, okay, like, I, I get it. I'm not trying to defend the PMC, but a lot of the people on, this, on your side of force the vote were also PMC. Crystal's PMC, Kyle's right. PMC, Cornell West's PMC, Chris Hedges' PMC. He's literally a Princeton professor. So at a certain point, the analysis, like, PMC or not is not sufficient, obviously. It has to be more. That's all. And I think and, that your point like said, about dividing people up mean? is also right. Go ahead, Mark. Right. What does it mean? Is he cutting off at 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 a certain income level? Like like I said, my friend, if he's making almost a hundred thousand dollars a year working in a factory, is he still working class? Well, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> even like- and you can read about this, and we won't get into it here. But there are there are a lot. Okay, there's yeah. a whole analysis about what I mean. Class isn't okay. just income. It, it has uh-huh. to do with educational status and you know, kind of like pedigree and like family money and like a whole lot of other things that aren't just income. So it might very okay. well be that that person okay. is still considered to be working class and you're still PMC regardless of how much you make. But that's all to the end point where it's, there's a lot of nuance here going on. And now we're all just quibbling around being in the bottom 80%. You know? Right. And that's what I'm thinking. We're a bunch of monkeys. Cause like, even if you're making 200,000, the billionaires are like, you're you're yeah. you're you're beneath me. We're all beneath them. So there is there is like way more. <laughs> there's way bigger a way bigger gap, like proportional for the proportionality of like two hundred thousand to a million 
is like scads different than uh you know 50,000 to 200,000 even though our brains have a hard time with those numbers and the difference between like a million and a billion is like unfathomable to the brain so we're like really even i i mean i'm not going to defend millionaires but even that's like small potatoes in the grand scheme of who's going to be hit with these wealth taxes and stuff that we want to be right enacting right absolutely absolutely yeah so no I, well thanks I for calling it. in Mark. I, I, just, I appreciate that yeah can i just add one thing quick about the aoc thing the people who defend her the most like the tyts kyle all of them they should be the ones holding her accountable to the most because if you were trying to say that this project going through the democratic party is going to work you should be making sure she's doing her job. And if you don't hold anybody, this is anybody at their job, because I'm I'm guilty of this too. If you don't make sure I'm make sure that I'm going to do the best that I'm going to do, uh, you have to be on me, or else I'm going to do as little as possible. And that's the most true with anybody yeah. at a job that they don't really care about. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, I'm gonna, I'm going to do as little as possible. Quiet quitting all the time. <laughs> right. So that's why I'm like, so hold her accountable because she will just sit there and tweet and take her $175,000 a year unless y'all hold her accountable. So yeah. there. And now I'll, I'll yeah. shut up because I know you have I, more people. No, I'm, I'm yeah. here for that. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate <laughs> right. that. Right, Keep the bye. faith. All right, Katie. How are you doing, I'm my good. friend? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. It's such a pleasure to see you in the room tonight. Yeah. What's on your mind? Well, you know, it's funny. I... I want to share a little something that happened with me today. Okay, I went please. through a little transformation. Okay. So I was a little bit, I was a little critical, including today earlier on, on a call-in that I did with Aaron Mate at uh, Useful Idiots Colin, which I don't know what's going on with the app, but it's still not published. So stand by. We're having some tech issues with that. Mm. But um, I was critical of the two young men who interrupted AOC not because I thought that what they said was bad. I just, they were, you know what I thought was, this is kind of a small point. I was like, why are they saying, to asking her to denounce the Democratic Party? That's just a symbolic nothing. They should ask her to, you know, push diplomacy, to vote, change her vote, or stop voting to, to send arms to Ukraine, which they, they were saying that. Um, I just, there was something about it that rubbed me the wrong way. Mm-hmm which is not a legitimate critique. I mean, which is not, that's just me. I mean, I'm just being honest about it. And Mm -hmm. there's probably something wrong with me for, for being rubbed the wrong way by it. And also I did, I was a little confused by the fact that they were the Ruchites and it seemed like Trump supporters because I thought that they were pretending to be progressives. Okay. So that's what I thought earlier this morning. Mm -hmm. Then I saw AOC's response to them. And I was like, hold my beer. I don't know. I sound like a boomer. That's probably not even the right expression. But I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I thought there was something a little bit annoying about what those guys did. At which point it was like, no. Obviously, the problem in this interaction is her response to it. So I tweeted and I did a little rhetorical flourish where you know this because you're very good at at, um, oratory. So I said, I tweeted, I criticize the guys who interrupted AOC because I think there's an art to protest and they did a bad job. They also appeared to not be progressive, but her response here is terrible, substance-free, and either ignorant or cynical. Wanting Biden to push diplomacy isn't a Putin talking point. And then I showed her a screenshot. So then I kind of overstated what a bad job I think they did. Partly because I was trying to make a point, 
Mm-hmm. Like, guys, I thought they did a terrible job. And still, I think that AOC's response is awful. And then, it's really, and then I realized that they're honest about their politics. I think LaRouche was a total nut job. And I think that there is a bit of a LaRouche cult. But the truth is that we have to grapple with the fact that the left isn't showing up. And having bad politics about certain things or maybe being a LaRoucheite doesn't make, doesn't negate that you're right on other things. But I came off looking extremely like everyone's like, oh, you're gatekeeping. Oh, that's so PMC. And I am PMC. I think I'm pretty sure I'm PMC. And sometimes I get annoyed because as you were saying, it can be a little reductive. Like I am PMC, but I still do think that there's an art to protests and people could go up there and have delivered a spoken word poem and they could have been justified in their anger, but it would have been terrible protest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my being PMC doesn't make it so that I can't make that argument. Though I get that it's very easy for me to look like a parody of someone who's just sitting back, not engaging in protest and just critiquing people who are. Well, look, I, I missed all of that back and forth, Katie, but let's bring Jonathan. No one, you know, Jonathan is an is a Twitter warrior. So let's let's bring him up to bat and get him involved in this conversation. I mean, what do you, what do you what do you think is is Katie is Katie kind of right to say that you know she was, you know, she came off too harsh in her tweet criticizing the protesters. Did you interpret it that way? Was there a brouhaha on the internet? Mm, I don't think so. Um I do feel like the world is conspiring against me talking about what I really wanted to talk about NATO and but uh, yeah I like honestly like I think uh, Katie's I definitely endorsed Katie's response to AOC's response which was just yeah. extraordinarily bad faith and you know again like it, as you've been saying like even a stop clock is right twice a day right. and uh, the fact of the matter is where is the anti-war left? Uh, It's not entirely the anti-war left's fault because AOC does not make herself accessible at all. I also kind of have to drop a mention in there because you brought up uh, that Schellenberger interview on Thursday. Schellenberger is not a climate scientist. He's a PR flack, and he's extraordinarily dangerous. And he is the latest iteration of uh, what was... Uh, portrayed in, I don't know if you've ever seen the documentary film Merchants of Doubt, but if you haven't, I highly recommend it. It's not long, it's highly engaging. And some of the people featured in that film might be interested in coming on Bad Faith Podcast to uh, revisit the topic in light of this uh, new subtype of, uh, of PR flack that's uh, taking a take. Yes, global warming is real, real but it's not really bad, and uh, it's not going not gonna to hurt anything. And it's like the the level of of trickery and deception is that is used in this particular PR subtype of the PR industry is extraordinarily pernicious and nasty and galling. And uh, yeah, I like I detected even in that interview, you could see the way he was trying to steer the conversation in certain directions. And like there was almost like a look of alarm on your face as these things were coming up. Yeah. It was it was very odd. I would love to like kind of diagram that interview with someone from the film you mentioned who was familiar with this rhetorical pivot because there is something disarming about someone first and foremost saying global warming is real. And then this odd pivot to 
but it's not killing that many people. And we have, you know, interventions you can use to prevent people from dying. Like we're just going to build giant walls around the entire world to keep sea level rise from happening. And, you know, the, the, under, the clearly understated numbers for how much, how many people die from climate change. And then this weird shift of, well, global warming doesn't cause air pollution. So those deaths don't count. It's like, well, Global warming isn't the only issue here. You're you're clearly trying to protect the fossil fuel industry and advocating for more burning of fossil fuels, which absolutely affects air pollution, which absolutely is killing people. So what are you even like? It's just, there were a million weird pivots that were. It was very disorienting, and I hate it. Yeah, and the like. <laughs> The MO here is to use astroturf pseudoscience to uh, sow doubt in the public consciousness as to establish scientific consensus. Mm. And that's precisely what he did. And I recognized the pattern when he first crossed my radar at a a House Investigations Committee hearing that I was watching on C-SPAN because uh, one of the uh, economists I like was talking about uh, oil prices uh, she was one of the one of the witnesses there. And I noticed like an odd thing, like every Republican uh, member of that committee would only talk to this guy. And mm-hmm. this guy was giving those kinds of, of pseudoscientific, like soft climate denial answers. And they would not they it, they pretended as though none of the other witnesses existed. And like it was almost like a, a comfort blanket for them. So I looked the guy up. First red flag, Matty Glacius is a fan. Second red flag, he's basically a professional uh, congressional witness, and Republicans always call him on anything, any topic that is, you know, even remotely climate-related, and they will only talk to him in those hearings. And that, essentially, they expect him to run interference on any climate experts that are brought in to say, yes, climate change is real, it's urgent, we need to deal with it now. So I would, like, to make a long story short, uh, check out that film. It's it's actually an engaging watch. It's not that long. You know, you can order your food, drink your chamomile beer, and, and, <laughs> and watch it. Maybe make a few notes for who you'd like to have on. But it does go. It is broader than the climate change or the fossil fuel industry. Like it was also the big tobacco has used this type of strategy. Uh, various uh, you know other chemical industries uh, have used this this type of approach. Like it's. It's really like there's a whole it's a whole thing. Um, I kind of wanted to bring up the tomato soup for the soul real quick, Please. just because I'm so proud of myself because I got in a like there's a little thread in uh, Matt Taibbi's replies because Matt Taibbi had the standard response like this. Uh, you know, this makes me like this protest makes me want to turn on my car and run it for 10 days straight. And, you know, this doesn't convince me at all. And the thing I brought up uh, was that uh, the human brain is not an entirely intentional machine, right? And if the problem is that there's a major disconnect between the actual level of urgency of the situation and the perceived level of urgency and, you know, the degree to which it's front of mind in the public consciousness, uh, this sort of approach, uh, you know, getting people mad about it on the Internet, forcing them kicking and screaming to make it front of mind is not an entirely invalid tactic. You know, it needs to be obviously part of a larger strategy, mm-hmm. but you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, all these people being mad about it on the internet is indeed, uh, you know, at least in the short term, what their goal was. 
and everybody knows it's a climate protest. Everybody's, you know, mad about the way they did it and tone policing them. But people are also really bad at judging what actually shifts their perception in in subtle ways and what doesn't, because people have a bias towards thinking that their brain is an entirely intentional machine. And that was something we saw in an episode you did a couple of years ago with a sociology professor that got in some hot water for, uh, you know, criticizing the more aggressive civil rights protests in the late 60s and early 70s. Um, you know, What's saying, well, no, they actually harmed PR was. Yes, yeah, that's the one. I think you interviewed him too, Katie. Oh, okay, yeah. And, and in any case, um, you know, the fact of the matter is those kinds of things that made people angry or that they said made them less sympathetic to the movement actually did shift their perception in imperceptible ways. And I got this endorsement from this woman who I saw was a friend of, um, you know, one of the psychologists I follow and who follows me, like one of the best social psychology researchers I know. Uh, this guy, B. Keith Payne, uh, who wrote The Social Psychology of Inequality and, you know, published some pretty groundbreaking studies. And I'm like, hey, you know, a friend of Keith Payne knows what I'm talking about. And then she followed me and I looked on her profile a little more closely. I'm like, oh, it seems, you know, according to your UMish psych department profile, you know what I'm talking about a hell of a lot better than I do. And she was just like, I'm just here for support. That's an important point, And I'm here to emphasize it. So, like, the fact of the matter is, like, people are mad about it on the Internet and saying, no, this hurt more than it helped. But that's not necessarily true on its face. And I think yeah. that's an important thing to consider. Look, I do think especially on the left, there is this, like, desperation not to look like you're on libs of TikTok, shall we say. There's this desperation to look serious. Um, to not look cringe to, to, cause I think that's understandable because, you know, the left gets disregarded so often for being absurd and maximalist and, um, you know, just going too far. And I, I, you see this sometimes with the left, there's all these like Bernie bros who have this really like weird attitude about the green party, for instance, where they're like, I'll stay home before I vote green because I think they, they would rather have like no political impact than look like they believed in something or believed like, you know, were you so stupid as to think Jill Stein would actually win? Like they, they are like so afraid of seeming like unserious to some lib that they say they don't respect anyway, that they just, they, they like have this sometimes like, I think, um, over correction into doing things that don't make sense for them, like, politically. and Yeah, I think they internalize some of those criticisms, too. Yeah. Like, it's almost like the gaslighting that worked. Yeah, 100%. So, like, I, I understand that. But, like, the reaction was so, like, across the board. Tommy Beats were all these people who were supposed to be but leftist liberals, everybody who says that they care about the environment or had all of these takes about how, like, this makes me hate environmentalists. I'm like, you need to do some introspection. Wasn't because... there also glass in front of the painting? Someone told yeah, me Yeah, it that. wasn't actually. Yes. That, that, so many that people is... missed that. Yeah. Like a... Even so, I think that there shouldn't have been glass. I think it should have gone, gone whole hog. But the, 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 the point is, I... Um... Sorry, I cut you off, Rhea. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, no, it's okay. Um... The, it's like when I when I know I'm doing something wrong, like eating meat, like I also get mad when someone points out that pigs are smart and I'm hurting them. You know what I mean? 
cute. But that's a me problem. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be mad at you <laughs> for first do it like having the right argument just because the implications for me and how I live my life are like inconvenient. Yeah. Now, do I think there's a kind of like vegan protest that can be assholey and act like, oh, you? I was once told by like a, like an animal rights activist that they wish I had died for the crime. Oh. Of walking through Washington Square Park, minding my own business, not wearing any animal products. <laughs> um, but like, so like, I, I obviously there's a line here between like protest that is actually ineffective and like people just weirdly getting in their feelings. But I felt like a lot of the stuff today was that this this protest was effective insofar as it forced people to really reckon with why they could be so viscerally angry about a fucking painting. And not have that same level of visceral anger as, like, Steve, Steve Donziger is, like, posting, posting, posting every day these pictures of, like, oil slicks in the Amazon and all of these indigenous kids dying of cancer. Yeah, that's part of the mismatch thing that I, I think, uh, to a certain degree, things like this, being even being willing to make yourself in the short term uh, the object of a considerable degree of ire and hatred, uh, you know, this can... It, this kind of, of tactic can help bridge the gap between what is front of mind that should be, you know, commensurate with its its actual level of urgency. And I think that happened in the civil rights movement, too, like seeing that, you know, there was a segment of people that were in such dire straits that they were willing to risk arrest and, you know, engage in, uh, you know, certain levels of, of um, destruction of property and things of that nature. Um, you know, really raise this uh, in a, the level of urgency in people's consciousness that this is something that needs to be dealt with. And I think we saw that in the George Floyd protests too. Like people were very much, you know, oh my God, like, you know, buildings are getting vandalized and looted, not necessarily, by the way, by protesters, but never mind that. Uh, but they were very concerned about the civil unrest and all of that stuff. And all of a sudden you started seeing a great deal of willingness to... Uh, do something, which unfortunately that momentum was stolen by, uh, you know, certain of what, um, you know, people at Black Agenda Report like to call the misleadership class, who basically told, uh, you know, uh, party leadership that all they had to do was kneel for, you know, eight minutes and tinte oh cloth and everything would be fine. Mm-hmm. But the, the momentum initially was there. Uh, by that situation and, you know, even people that ordinarily would not have been terribly sympathetic to, you know, making some, some serious policy changes were like, yeah, we just need, we need to get it done. Like something has to be done. Yeah, for sure. Katie, did you have anything to say? No, uh, Jonathan is always great to talk to very interesting insights. Um, no, I, I hope, uh, I'm glad that you took my call though. I feel a little bit like I got some stuff off my chest. Feel a little less stressed. Good. I'm glad, Katie. I think I, I took a look online um, since you know you mentioned the thing, and it looks. I didn't see. I think that most people understood it. Yeah. You took it in good faith. Yeah. <laughs> I I do that. think it's a hard thing to struggle with, though. How a couple things in summary, I feel like this thing highlighted a couple things that happens. One is that I think we need to resist the temptation, which I do too, occasionally to conflate message with messenger. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that we have to grapple with the fact that 
uh, not everyone who is anti-war will share all of our politics. And we have to figure out what to do about that. I think we have to reach out to people who disagree with us, but not in a way that throws anyone under the bus. Um, and we have to, you know, I think it's fair and healthy to critique how people protest, um, but also remember that they're not the ones with power. Politicians are the ones with power. Which, also, if you critique, if you critique someone uh, who protests, I expect to be emailed a video of your execution of a protest. But, but don't you think that <laughs> you and I could critique a protest without? I mean, okay, that this is a whole other question because then I feel like I I don't I mean I I used to go to protests I still go to protests sometimes, but that's not my my like calling. That's not what I dedicate myself to. And I still think, I mean, this is a whole other conversation, but I think that dis- discussing tactics and strategies is often poo-pooed as bourgeois and PMC. But I'm not well, pretending- look, I, I think discussing, it's one thing to be discussing it on the internet. I think it's another thing to be like involved in an organization and discussing how to improve upon the yeah. tactics that you're using. And so like, I had this conversation with Afini when we were at the, um, uh, the Dobbs protest in front of the Supreme Court. And she was there with an organization who was invited to speak, and I was just there chilling in the crowd watching. Yeah. And um, we, we, you know, met up after, and, you know, we were talking about, like, you know, what could have what could have made this feel different? What could have made this feel better? Like, we're surrounded by cops in a pendant area where we're all supposed to be. You know, was it possible to move this crowd over onto Constitution Avenue and block traffic and would that have been better? And what are the pros and cons and all of that? And I feel like I'm not, and this is my own fault, like a member of an organization in that way. I mean, you know, Socialist Alternative, yes, but they don't have a DC chapter. So like I was just there by myself yeah. and I don't really feel like I'm not, even, like I'm not, I don't participate like I should in Socialist Alternative anymore because they're meeting Thursday evenings and I'm doing these call-ins. And so like, I, I just, I don't feel like it's really my place, but people who are in those orgs, you know, it, you know, it is their place, and I think that this is kind of a reason why more of us should be in organizations so that it doesn't seem like Monday morning quarterbacking. It feels like a process of, of experimentation and learning and growing. Hmm. All right, yeah. I like that. All right, so we're already uh, at three hours. I'm going to wow, try to get... Um, three. Bye, I'm sorry? everyone. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. It's oh, always going? a pleasure, Katie. And yeah. it's I love fun. it when you two team up. I know. We more <laughs> often, Bree, right? hundred percent. We're, we're, we're like, what are they called? What do they compare you to racistly? Silk and diamond. Is that it? Well, <laughs> among other things, name a well, black person who's a conservative and I'm magically identical to them. For yeah, reasons. but we're going to, we're going to take out everything problematic and just reclaim that we are so <laughs> in a way that is. <laughs> we're going to be the mixed race diamond and exactly. silk. Oh Lord yeah, have mercy. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you, Katie, and right, thank, thank you as you. always, Jonathan. I'm going to try to do a really thank quick you. run. If everyone can just, like, say their piece for, like, two minutes, two minutes, two minutes, and I'll respond because I feel really bad about how long this queue has been and how long I've been with every caller. So, Hillary, can you just give me a quick take until 11.09? Yep. I've, I will say my piece. Actually, I wanted to talk about Katie's tweet. So oh, I wanted great. to push back a little bit. Um So I do think we are misaligning strategies and tactics. You know, I think we should be all in favor of any tactic to pressure a politician and in a bad vote. 
and what they've been doing in the war in Ukraine. We are in the the midst, on the verge of nuclear Armageddon. It is baffling. And, and put it the cherry on top. Then they say we don't have money for COVID and they get sending billions of dollars that could be going to reparations. It could be going to more student loan cancellation. And so I think we do need to have more people getting attention. I mean, it's just attention and we are desperate. So yeah, we need to use these guys. Do I care that they're not progressive? Because that was my thing with Katie. She said they're not progressive. Who the fuck cares? I don't, at this moment in time, maybe I'm not going to organize with them, Mm -hmm. but we need them to, and same thing with the soup kids. They're tied to the Gettys or something. Mm. We are talking about it and nobody has been talking about this, this really criminal that we're sending so many arms and even if we don't have nuclear war, which I, we are, this is why we're talking now because we're so frightened by this, even not, I mean, the bridge, the Nord Stream, all of the infrastructure in Ukraine, what about Mm -hmm. those people? And Mm -hmm. like you said, we, a year ago, they, we could have not have, you know, war, Putin, oh, unprovoked war. We know that's crap. And so I think we need more of it, but we do need to kind of understand what a socialist strategy is and how we can use tactics and people like Tulsi. Am I going to vote for her? Probably not. No. But am I going to say that she's right about the Democrats and how gross they are? The military industrial complex? Yes. Let's think smart about this. And I think that's where we're headed. And I think the better part also is the economic power building with the international left. I think there is promising there. And I think a lot of leftists in in America who are tied in, dialed in with the international left are saying, forget about AOC. Let's unionize. Let's get political education. And so I think we need to focus more on economic power, but also ways, easy ways to, to hold these, these puppets, politicians accountable. And that's it. Thanks, Brie. Thank you, Hillary. Efficient, to the point, topical, got her done. Love that. All right, armchair, you're up. What's on your mind? Uh, Yeah, I'll I'll just ask you one question. So who do you think is the best, uh, you know, hope for progressives um, to run in 2024 uh, on the Democratic side? Uh, yeah, that's it. On the Democratic ticket, or as an independent, or as a defecting? Well, let's let's be realistic. On the on, on the Democratic ticket. Well, I don't know that I agree with the characterization of that as realistic, but I don't know. I I don't. I the best chance in what way? The best chance of winning, or the best chance of winning and also being at all progressive? What are we calling yeah. progressive? Are we calling like a promise to cancel? $50,000? Are we talking like Elizabeth Warren level of progressive? Or are we talking like, I think that I, like I'm at least going to identify as a socialist progressive? Um, Probably somewhere at least like Elizabeth Warren and hopefully like Bernie Sanders. But, you know, we'll get where we can. I don't want to be an emotional voter, but I'm telling you right now, I am not lifting a finger for Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> I might begrudgingly vote for her in a primary, uh, but um, you, you and do you I think she's realistically going to run? 
No, I, I've heard no indication of that. I, I don't think that Bernie's going to run, even though there were some noises made. He's made noises like that in the past, and even so, what's going to be different from the last time? Um, you know, I, any, any of these people who, like, put issues on the table and make everybody kind of respond, it's a nice thing. But, you know, I'm not going to say, I don't even want to say the word Marianne because I honestly am not tired of fighting with people about it. Like, you guys have made yourselves clear you don't want Marianne. So, like, I frankly think that that would be interesting, at least, in terms of, like, someone who is sufficiently untethered from the Democratic Party that they might say a really true thing or two. If we're looking for someone who's just going to put issues on the table and shake things up, I also think that having that spiritual approach is something that the left should be claiming. But, you know, there, it's like, no, like, what are we going to do? I like Matthew Ho a lot, but no one knows who he is. So he's running for Senate in North Carolina. We had him on the show with Jill Stein. He's a Green Party candidate. I would love it if we lived in a world where, you know, Kyle Kalinske and Young Turks and Breaking Points and every Rising and all of us just did a onslaught where we had Michael uh, Matthew Ho on and made him like a known quantity. And Andrew Yang swooped in and said, "You know, you're gonna we're gonna give you this platform and elevate you because you're an independent candidate." Like I would love a world where a lot of those kinds of things happened. Um, but I'm really struggling to care about 2024 because the left you guys don't care i've i've tried i've done several episodes horse race appetite for this person that person i tried it with rbn i tried it with crystal nobody has an appetite for it what do you think uh i don't know i mean that's that's why i asked to be honest um i'm not like the only person that i can think of who uh i guess has some chance, in my opinion, like, or at least in terms of just his, how well known he is as Brokana. But I also know that a lot of people probably listening to you right now, like, really hate him for his, for his takes on, you know, on foreign policy, which yeah. I'm actually totally, totally okay with, actually. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, Look, I mean, I, I think, I, I, yeah, I think the left ahead. needs to realize that it, this is, this has been the point of all of my 2024 episodes. There is no good person. So the left needs right. to come to terms with what their goals are in 2024 and pick a person that best advances those goals. But every time you say a name, everyone swoops in to tell you why you're an idiot for not understanding all the critiques of that person. No, no, no. We need to agree that there's no good person and then put our heads together and figure out how to get the most out of the election that's going to happen with or without us. That's my feeling. And my, to, you know, to that end, I think picking someone who at least has some national visibility already, perhaps because they ran for president already, and also has a willingness to be a certain degree of a bomb thrower, as opposed to someone who at the end of the day is going to say Joe Biden is my friend, would be useful in this project. I also think it should be multiple people. But if the left is like judging everybody who is supportive of any of those candidacies as somehow like no true Scotsman, then it's going to be exhausting and like I'm over it. I don't care. No one's no one's paying me to to work for a campaign or advance anybody's politics and I'm I'm tired and I don't want that smoke. So y'all figure it out. I tried. I teed it up twice in two separate episodes to try to have a mature conversation about what the left should be doing for a candidate in 2024. Y'all didn't want it. 
So someone else who has uh, more adrenal glands left than I do at this point <laughs> should advance that conversation. And at that point, I'm happy to weigh in. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Thank you, Armchair. Keep the vape. All right. Howard, aren't you adorable with your puppy face? Um, what's on your mind? Howard, can you unmute yourself? Howard, I understand that you're um, a lab, and labs typically can't talk, and the expectations here might be outsized. Thank you but for I believe the, in you. Thank you for the comment about my cute dog. I look just like her. Um, <laughs> it's an honor to talk to you. Uh, I, um, I think Hillary was uh, completely spot on. We should be throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks at this point. Um, you know, I think that there is some uh, oppositional strategy that has us fighting over the right person, the right approach. The right, and, you know, everyone seems to uh, think the left is, uh, is divided up, but I think people are finding their lane. Uh, I don't think thinking of it as, as the left being divided is right. I think people are finding their lanes and uh, where they fit in best. And, um, you know, we all should be supporting the fact that it's going to take many different approaches. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that uh, uh, you also should be um, relieved of duty of, of the hanging up uh, responsibility on Colin because you obviously are too nice and, <laughs> Um, you should just give it to somebody else and let someone be the bad guy and just like hang up at like five minutes each time. Um, well, I think, I don't know. I, I've been thinking about this a lot because on one hand, like it's, there's the cues are so long and I'm like so appreciative and kind of humbled that so many people even want to get the cue <laughs> and wait for like three plus hours as you have done. You're so nice. And, and I, I want to get to more people at the same time. You know, I look at the fact that this is number one show on Colin. And I wonder if that has something to do about the substantive engagement that happens with each caller. Mm -hmm. And, you know, generally speaking, I'm not going long because I'm like, Oh, I want to talk to everybody for 20, 30 minutes. It's because I think things that are, things are being said that are both interesting and representative of what a lot of other people are thinking. And yeah. so I want to go ahead and, and air it out as like a platonic ideal of a comment of someone who's probably waiting in line. And so I go yeah, back and forth. Yeah. I don't know. No, I mean, you're right, obviously. Uh, I mean, I don't know. You're always right. No, no, I think you are. I think, uh, I think, um, I, you know, it would be my, my suggestion was sort of, sort of in jest. Um, Cause I think you'd be turning it into like a, you know, a nineties, like radio call-in show. If you just like got through as many callers as possible and the substance would be stripped out of it. You're right. I mean, look, um, I know, could do a little better. Be here till tomorrow, you know, mid morning. <laughs> I, I I could probably get it to like no more than fifteen to twenty minutes a caller, and not like the thirty minutes that we've been doing. <laughs> bring it today. down to bring it down to twenty. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> there's a there's definitely a middle ground here, but I I appreciate you for waiting so long, Howard. I'm gonna hang up right now. <laughs> Thank you. Keep the faith. All right, Isaiah, what's on your mind? Can you unmute yourself, Russ Isaiah? I think you're going to be the last one because 
we've we've made some progress and I also see a lot of familiar faces at the end of the aisle so I don't feel as bad about not keeping going. Oh. Okay, Isaiah either messed that up or didn't want to talk. So Michelle, it's on you. Oh, Isaiah's in the back. Okay, I'll try you again, Isaiah. Okay, go ahead, Michelle. Um, yeah, I think considering the fact that there are so many other people who've had, I think, great things to say on it, the, the one point that I don't think has been brought up that I will bring up about the situation in Ukraine is kind of the misframing that's coming in from, like, all directions here. And I think, like... It's really bizarre to hear people talk about America funding one half of a civil war, the half that supported a government that was installed by a coup, as the the victims, as opposed to the people who live in the Donbass region, whose government was overthrown, who were, you know, had their language rights taken away, who had their, uh, you know, the language that they spoke outlawed in schools mm-hmm. where their kids are being taught. And like, I, d- I guess I don't, I don't see, I can see what, what Russia's angle in going in is because it's, you know, this was once a part of, it, it used to be the Soviet Union. These are people who are being discriminated against because of speaking Russian because of their heritage. So like, I, th- I think we just, and, and I think people are just like being fundamentally dishonest about what America is doing when they went in, because we basically went in, did the coup, and then started privatizing all of the government assets. It, I mean, Monsanto owns like 30% of the breadbasket of Ukraine at this point. Like, we are just, we call it intervention, but it's not, it's like we install governments that will allow American capitalists to profit or their allies in the EU to profit off of these economies. But you have to address that privatizing and the fact that that is the motive for America, like regardless. And if you leave that out, it, like I think, I think it is so difficult for someone who wants public ownership of like utilities or public ownership of these things to be advocating for what America is doing in other places. Cause let's be real. It's the same thing in Haiti. It's the same thing in all of these countries. Like what we always do when we go in is when they are going to make something a resource that is useful for their people. That's when it happens. And mm-hmm. unless you like started at that point and think about the fact that like, the U.S. had already put $5 billion in to Ukraine before the coup happened. Mm. And then we funded them. And then we trained their soldiers to go and attack people in their own country. So if people really care about, you know, humanitarian interests there. Yeah, America could have not done that. In fact, they could have, you know, demanded that that stop. But like, that's not our intention. Our intention is to drag Russia in and to sink Russia. So like, of course, what we're doing is not that. Does that make sense? No, no, it does. And I'm taking notes because I'm thinking to myself, I wanna do an IMF 
um, IMF imperialism <laughs> episode. Yes. I love the idea of digging more into what's going on um, with agriculture and Monsanto and land ownership in Ukraine. Because I do think at a certain point we have to start getting more granular details and, and not just keep doing this battle about, like, are we going to talk about NATO or are you going to deny NATO? <laughs> um, not not <laughs> yeah. you, obviously. I just mean, generally speaking, the broader oh, yeah. discourse. Um, no, yeah. I agree. Oh, that, the guy who wrote Confessions of an Economic Hitman, I wonder if that's someone who you could get on the podcast, because I think there's so much information around that. And, like, I'll share an article, the one that I read that kind of cites all the different industries that went from being public to private and, like, some of the companies that are buying them up, it's been uh, Multipolarista that did a lot of the, a lot of the work on that. But like, he, I mean, he has a pretty sizable list, like tracking who's buying what and how it happened. And it pretty much happened right after the coup happened. So I think, I, I think it's worth, I think it's worth looking at. Cause if, if it's not that lens, <laughs> it's very easy to, convey what America's doing as like going in and helping, even though I think I think you even struggle with that in Russia, because there's only one group of people whose language rights were, you know, getting revoked. There's only one group of people who were like 14,000 people died before Russia entered the war. That's still more than have died since Russia entered. And like they were asking a lot of people in that region were like asking Russia to come in. And that's something we have to reckon with. Not that I think that there's, I mean, like, I think Minsk was the solution. It's, it's, it's a nightmare situation. There's nothing good once a civil war like that started. That's why you would wish America just wouldn't have done what they did yeah. in terms of supporting the coup. Like, cause, there, cause nothing, nothing good can come out of that. Like it's a civil war now. Yeah, that's it. That's, well, look, that's I, it. I'm so glad that I called on you um, and that. Uh, oh, where'd he go? I was going to call on him. I'm home sliced. Who was for you? And he went to the back of the line. I Isaac. Bring him up. So you really are the last caller. And, and it's tough because Sylvester, you know how tempting it is to call on you, my friend. But I got to hold firm because we're at three and a half hours and, you know, mama's got an early morning. But um, thank you, Michelle. I took a lot of notes while you were talking, and you've given me some great ideas for some upcoming content, so I'm especially appreciative. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you for sticking with us for so long. I do think it's why your show is so popular, just the fact that you actually have real conversations in here. So it's appreciated. Well, thank you. I hope so. Otherwise, I'm just a sadist for no reason. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> Everybody, thank you. This has been great. As per usual, see you tomorrow morning on Rising. See you on Thursday for another bad faith and another call in. And as always, keep the faith.
devil hate the lady.